Oren Entwert dives on the puck. Oh, now we got one going. Jake jumps all over Ruark. Jakes and Ruark, and that is going to be a good one. Oh, oh, big uppercut by Steve Jakes into Ruark's face. Oh! He has really landed some punches on Ruark. And those count, too, folks. Yes, sir, those are... Uh, Point. Holy cow. Holy pow is right. <laughs> Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. Spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drops and Bob Gartner goes right to King Flaxenbaum. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won mm -hmm. four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk. Welcome to episode 68, actual episode 89, and this is part one of my chat with Steve Jakes. So for you diehard Islanders fans, you may not know who Steve Jakes is. He never played here on the island, but if you're a fight fan or an IHL fan or a Western Hockey League fan, you definitely know who Steve Jake says, and we're going to talk about Steve a little bit later after I get through a few formalities here. Uh, so as always, if you enjoy the content of this show and you're on social media, consider giving the show a like or a follow on social media, please. On Twitter, the show account is at Kali Sinbin Pod. On Facebook, facebook.com slash Coliseum Chronicles Podcast. And on Instagram, Coliseum underscore Chronicles underscore podcast um i always want to give this guy a shout out because uh he was kind enough to draw the logo for this program which i love and uh a lot of new people uh i've had a slight change in my uh my life recently and i'll touch on that in a few moments and a lot of new people are seeing the logo they love the logo and i'm hoping that with all the questions i'm getting maybe it'll give this guy some more business Joe Marisich, local Long Island artist. You've seen Joe's work. Islander tunes, Jets tunes, Mets tunes. He does sports radio tunes. But he can do much, much more than tunes. And now we are probably, what, seven, eight weeks? Maybe seven weeks from Christmas? I don't know how busy Joe is. He's probably swamped. So maybe I'm not doing him any favors right now. But uh, the good thing about art, it's very personal. And... Um, if you need a gift idea for someone and Joe is uh, able to 
do a piece for you, you could do a lot worse than calling Joe Marisich. You can reach Joe on Twitter at GraphicsJoker or at LoudEgg.com. So, uh, so give Joe a shout if, uh, like I said, I don't know how busy he is, but, uh, I think, uh, a piece from Joe for someone you love would probably be a fantastic gift. And if you like the logo, feel free to go to the Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box merchandise store. Um, I know there's been some issues with it lately. I don't exactly know, uh, what's going on with Teespring, uh, and I'll be honest with you, it's sort of getting very frustrating to the point where I am thinking of pulling the merchandise altogether. The bad thing is Teespring is so easy to work with, and um, I don't know. And, and it may not be them. I'm just so not tech savvy. Uh, so it could very well be something on my end that I need to update. I need to look into it when I have more time. But uh, for now, I believe you still can order merchandise again with Christmas coming up, what better way to show your loved ones that you're thinking of them and love them than to buy them Coliseum Chronicles, the penalty box merchandise. Now it's getting cold out almost everywhere. Obviously not the usual spots, Texas, Florida, California. But for those people, we still have t-shirts available for sale. I say we, I don't know why it's me. This is a dictatorship. I don't know why I say we. But if you're in an area where it's a little chilly out and you'd like to buy a hoodie or a sweatshirt, uh, those are also available in the store as well. So do yourself a favor, just uh, peruse the store. There's a link to both stores because I couldn't combine them. There is the classic logo store and the alternate logo store. And those links are readily available right under the description of this very episode that you're listening to. So peruse through the store. You might find some nice gift ideas for your loved ones or yourself. Why not treat yourself? It's been a rough couple of years for everybody. Treat yourself to some merchandise. And as a listener exclusive discount for the next two weeks, you get 20% off every item in your cart using the code JAKES20. That's J-A-Q-U-E-S-2-0. That will give you 20% off every item in your cart. Uh, I would I would like to thank Darren from the Fourth Line Voice because, as you know, if you're a listener to this show, a listener to Fourth Line Voice, a listener to the Five for Fighting podcast, you know a tool that we use and a tool that fight fans have used over, I don't know, decades. I, mean, I don't know how long the site was up, was the Drop Your Gloves website. And uh, piecing together Steve Jake's fight card uh, was a task because uh, his fight card is not available on the Wayback Machine only portions of it were and um i'd like to think that uh, the three of us kind of help each other we uh, well we know that we're available for help we can reach out and if uh, if we can help each other we do and uh, darren had some uh links to some of steve's fight card which really uh, really helped me out so uh thank you very much for the help darren and uh, while i'm on the subject the fourth line voice podcast the og of the enforcer podcast genre Darren's latest episode was the Sunday Shit Show. This is actually Monday morning. I'm recording this Monday morning before work. So I'm about, uh, I'd say, two-thirds of the way through to Darren's latest episode. Chock full of goodness, like all the Sunday episodes. And and uh, I just got done listening to the portion of the show where Darren uh, goes through somebody's top ten all-time toughest capitals. Now... If you're a regular listener to the show, uh, you may have heard my episode where I did the all-time top 10 toughest Islanders. And uh, 
I'm not saying my list was perfect. It definitely wasn't because, you know, once you get into a top 10 list, especially with the Islanders, uh, you know, the bottom half of the top 10 is subjective, really. I, I like my picks. I will stand by my picks. But you can make arguments for certain players. Uh, this <laughs> top 10 caps list was uh, interesting, to say the least. I mean, there was uh, I was not surprised by the number one pick. I may have been surprised uh, <laughs> at the three or four picks or, or four or five picks before number one, but I wasn't surprised with number one. But uh, uh, there may be some omissions from this list, and Darren goes through the list, and uh, he did a great job doing it. The whole episode was great, although, you know, I don't know, maybe the wheels fell off after the Capitals portion of the episode. I haven't listened to that yet, but um, Darren always does a great job, and uh, I I implore you to listen to the Sunday Shit Show episode and then start with episode number one. Go through his whole back catalog. And uh, Darren, I don't know if I said it in my last episode, but congratulations on selling your condo. That has to be a gigantic weight off your shoulders. Uh, I'm very happy for you and the missus that you can uh, finally move on. But definitely check out the Fourth Line Voice podcast with Darren, my pal up there in Saskatoon. Uh, You will not be disappointed. Uh, Also, if you have watched a hockey fight on YouTube, chances are, on the fourth line voice youtube channel uh i think he's up to over 2600 fights right now and i believe once he moves into his new place he's probably going to be uploading like a madman so uh maybe by the end of january you're probably gonna i'm not setting the bar too high for you am i darren uh maybe 3000 fights by the end of january if anyone can do it he can so check out the fourth line voice podcast and check out the fourth line voice youtube channel as well and the aforementioned five for fighting podcast alec olin salen part-time only as he was dubbed by darren uh alec's latest episode uh he did a solo episode with uh, some random topics i think probably the the headliner topic was the nhl versus echl uh, which is a more exciting league. Uh, Alec is down in Florida, Everblades country. I believe he's an Everblades season ticket holder, and uh, he's been posting a lot of the fight clips this year from the Everblades games. So uh, he's having a good time down there, and uh, seems like it's a pretty exciting team that he has down there this year. So he's all pumped up about it. Um, and I know he did uh, he did a live episode last Friday on the Enforcer Appreciation page, which I believe he will upload for audio only this Wednesday. So uh, I didn't catch the Friday episode. I was working, and um, I will listen to it, though, when he uploads it. So check out the Five for Fighting podcast as well. Again, tremendous back catalog, uh, and you will not be disappointed. Now, the Enforcer Appreciation page, that's probably the biggest fight group on Facebook that was started by Alec. And uh, like I said, if you're young and smart and tech savvy like Alec, you can do live episodes on Facebook, and he does. And uh, I think that was his... um, that was his go-to for a while, whether he was interviewing players or doing solo episodes, he was doing them on the Enforcer Appreciation page. Uh, then uh, real life uh, took a turn a little bit, and he uh, he was off for a couple of weeks, but now he's back doing it, and I'm happy for him. I'm happy that uh, hopefully things are getting uh, straightened out in real life, getting back to normal, and then he can resume his regular uh, Facebook Live shows as well. So uh, check out the Fourth Line Voice podcast. Check out the Five for Fighting podcast, 
Fourth Line Voice YouTube channel, Enforcer Appreciation page on Facebook. So for the past year and a half, now I'm going to bypass all the other all the other stuff that I usually talk about here. I, I wanted to get that stuff uh, get that stuff in because we all try to help each other out. You know, the mom and pop uh, podcasts of, uh, you know, we, we always try to pump each other's tires, help each other out, get some uh, attention on the other show. So I was definitely going to do that. But the other stuff that I usually talk about, uh, I'm going to bypass this week because I want to talk to you a little bit about real life. And uh, I, I want to help you people. And, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart. Um, so as you have heard me talk about uh, over the last year and a half, I was furloughed from my job. I am still furloughed from my job, but I am working in the interim. I am back to my old stomping grounds working in the box office for Madison Square Garden. And um, it's been interesting. I've been there uh, three weeks now. I actually start my fourth week today. And all box offices are not different, are not the same. They're very different. And Madison Square Garden box office being in uh, the middle of New York City is probably one of the busiest box offices in the world and it brings in people from all over it brings in different clientele from all over and uh what what happens with that is it also brings in a lot of scams and um it's the worst part of the job believe it or not um you know it's the kind of job where you think well people are just coming to buy tickets or pick up tickets or whatever and it's it's pretty easy and the one thing that i always say is if you've ever purchased a ticket or if you ever picked up a ticket or anything any dealings with somebody in the box office if you ever thought wow that was easy it means the person that was on the other side of the window knows what they're doing and knows how to do their job because um we get hit with situations all the time and it's all about handling people and and customer service and and everything that goes along with that and for the most part most of the transactions are seamless they're pleasant well one thing that I really don't encounter up at Lincoln Center is something that you encounter a lot at Madison Square Garden and probably big venues all over the world. And that's uh, counterfeit tickets and fake tickets from uh, really, really awful people. And uh, it was really highlighted to me this past weekend. We had uh, Billy Joel at the Garden on Friday and we had the UFC at the Garden on Saturday. And uh, you know, it was, it was really, it, it's heartbreaking. I'll be honest with you. It, it, there's a certain part of the job and I, and I said it already, it's the worst part of the job is when people, uh, look forward to an event and they have these tickets for months that they purchased from third parties. And by third party, I mean, anything that's not, uh, and I'll use the garden specifically. So if you're buying tickets to a, an event at Madison Square Garden, you really only want to buy them from two sources, and that's the the box office directly if you can, or Ticketmaster. And a lot of times when people go on or come to see us, we're sold out of events, and then they jump to the third parties. And that's always you're always taking a chance, and and it, it's I equate it to gambling because you don't know. You didn't buy the ticket directly. You're you're buying a resale ticket from somebody, and you don't know the you know the course that they took, and you don't know the chain of events for between purchasing the ticket and putting it up for resale. And with the Billy Joel concert, it was uh, a lot. These are all rescheduled concerts from COVID, so this is his first concert back. So you had a lot of people that bought tickets uh, from third parties, and when the concerts were rescheduled a lot of the original purchasers got refunds 
on their original purchase. But they had already transferred the tickets to another buyer. And it looks like never told the buyer that they got their refund for their original purchase. So now you have a lot of people that came to the show with these tickets bought on the third-party sites, and they have no idea that the person who sold them to them already got their money back. And it was, it was a nightmare. And and I don't mean a night, like it was, it was, it's not a nightmare for my part, as far as my job goes, it's a nightmare trying to tell these people, explain to them what happened. And, you know, you have these adults and they're at the window and I don't blame them. A lot of the men were really pissed off. A lot of the women were crying. I mean, if you, you may have had this ticket for a year, for a year and a half, and now you want to, all you want to do with all the bullshit that's been going on in the world is sit back and go watch, you know, you're a Billy Joel fan. You want to go there and watch him, you know, sing and play the piano for three hours and you can't, and you have no idea. You just don't know. And, uh, and that was really, really, it was really sad to watch. And then the next night we had UFC and it wasn't a rescheduled UFC, but UFC tickets are very expensive. And when, people come to the window or they check Ticketmaster and they see that the, uh, I think the least expensive ticket was $130. And those tickets always go first because they're the least expensive ticket and people want to get into the building. So people go online and they look for tickets and they're sold out. And then you keep putting in, you know, the, the, the next price up from the bottom because the, the top price is in the thousands. And even the mid-level prices are, you know, 400, 500 or more. And a lot of people can't do that. So they they see that sold out or they come to our window and we tell them it's those lower prices are sold out and they turn to the third party sites. And they find out on the day of the show, you know, the wheels fell off because they're not getting into the concert for one reason or another. Um, but the worst part was, uh, the worst part about the UFC, and it didn't really happen with with Billy Joel, it really happened a lot with the UFC was the people outside. Now I understand, you know, maybe in the fifties, the sixties, the seventies, the eighties, the nineties, um, you could buy tickets from scalpers outside because maybe the technology wasn't there yet for fake tickets and, uh, you would get real tickets, but you just paid through the nose. And, um, I think that was, I don't want to say it was part of the experience, but if there was a sold out show, you knew it was going to be sold out. Maybe you just save money. You know you're going to buy tickets from a guy outside. And, you know, like I said, maybe you're not happy with the price that you paid because you had to pay much, much more than face value. But you at least got in, and, and for you, it was part of the experience. Well, technology is a great thing until it isn't. And for when I started at the Garden back in 2005, I'm sure, you know, it was going on before I started there. But the fake tickets that the people sell outside, they're just – you know, you don't know if you're not in the business, you have no idea you're buying a fake ticket. I mean, and some of these tickets look awful, but again, it's dark out, you know, you're not, you know, you're, you're hoping the person that's selling you the ticket isn't an absolute scumbag. And, um, you know, Saturday it was person after person coming to the window. Hey, my tickets won't scan. And you just look at the ticket and, and being in the business, as long as I've been, you just know it's fake. And, it's a UFC event. It's a big money event. So you're having people, uh, you know, paying hundreds and hundreds of dollars per ticket 
to these slime balls outside with the fake tickets. I don't know how I don't know how you ever could do this. You're basically people are giving you hundreds, maybe thousands of dollars for a piece of paper. And I don't know how you ever take advantage of, of people ever. But how you take advantage of people basically coming off of where we've been as a society in the last two years. Like, how do you sleep at night? So um, it was really difficult. And, and you just know, like, you know the difference between a person coming to your window to buy a ticket and a person coming to your window that's having an issue with their ticket scanning. You can just see it in their face. And then when they show you this fake ticket, your your heart just breaks for them. It, it's horrible. It's just horrible. Uh, you know, and you know they're dealing with these greasy people outside, and these people are constantly moving. They're not staying in one, uh, one part of the arena, one part of the outside of the arena. So it's very unlikely you're going to go out and find this guy. So um, I guess the reason why I'm telling you this is because um, I don't know a lot of things. I readily admit I'm <laughs> maybe I'm not as smart as I'd like to think I am. I think I'm okay. But uh, like I always say, a lot of things in life come with experience. And with the uh, job that I've had since 2005, I've been working in box offices. So I have a little bit of ticketing experience. And um, I don't want to get all goofy on you folks today because, uh, you know, I always like to have fun in these intros and talk about, you know, fights and Islanders and Bridgeport and stuff like that. But this has really been on my mind since uh, Friday and Saturday night. And it's really been bugging me. So. I figure if uh, if I can use my experience to maybe prevent one person from buying tickets outside a venue uh, or prevent one person from taking a chance and buying tickets on a third-party site and not experiencing what a lot of these people experienced over the weekend, um, I, it would make me very happy. So please, uh, you people out there, please do not. Do not purchase tickets from someone outside a venue. If it's anything like Madison Square Garden or any of these, I'm sure UBS is going to have them. I'm sure uh, I know I've seen it at Barclays. Any of these big arenas, be it uh, an arena or a stadium, no matter where you live, please do not buy tickets from someone outside. Do not buy tickets from anyone outside of the arena of an event that you want to go to. And again, as far as the third-party sites, and by a third-party site, I mean anything besides the actual venue or the actual ticketing service that the venue uses. For instance, I think most most uh, places in this area will use Ticketmaster or they'll use Live Nation. Uh, I don't know what it is in the area that, that you live in, but please be very wary of these third-party sites and please do not buy tickets from people outside of the arena or stadium of the event that you want to go to. So I, I'm sorry that uh, I got a little serious on everybody today, but I feel like as someone who's been in the business a little bit, and there's so much to the business I don't know, but this is this is ticketing 101 as far as dealing with scalpers and, and fake tickets. And uh, hopefully this helps uh, some of you people out there and uh, maybe prevents you from uh, getting robbed, which is really what it is. It's robbed. Uh, it's it's just absolutely unbelievable how you can look someone in the face and take $1,000 or $1,500 off someone and give them something that you know is garbage. I, I, I just don't know. I don't know how you do it. So um, 
that's my uh, that's my little rant for the intro. Now, getting on to Steve Jakes, I mentioned if you're a diehard Islanders fan, you may not know Steve Jakes. He never played never played for the Islanders, so his connection to this podcast is Steve Jakes was on the ninety three ninety four Salt Lake Golden Eagles team. So after Springfield and before Bridgeport, the Islanders dabbled a lot in the IHL. They had the one season in Salt Lake, uh, one season in Denver. They had a few seasons in Utah. Then they came back to the American League, uh, split Kentucky. They were in Lowell for a bit. Uh, and then, all, you know, Bridgeport came around, and they've been in Bridgeport now 20 years. So uh, there was that that space of time in between Springfield and Bridgeport where they, like I said, they dipped their toes in the IHL a little bit. And uh, they had the one season. Salt Lake was uh, normally the Flames team. And uh, this one year, the Islanders, the Islanders took it over, Salt Lake Golden Eagles. So if you blinked, you missed it. And if you're young, you have no idea. But that Salt Lake team was loaded, loaded with toughness. Um, I'll give you an example. Jason Simon led the team in penalty minutes with 323. Uh, Mark LaForge had 242. Kevin Chevaldeoff, 216. Tony Joseph, 213. Sandy Smith, 170. Joe Day, 153. Former guest of the show, Dave Chizowski, 151. Dan Plant, 148. Larry De Palma, 125. Scott Sissons, not really uh, known for his toughness. Uh, he even had triple digits that year, 123. Rick Lassard, 110. Daryl Olson, 97. So those are the guys that were at around 100 or more. And by the way, the guy after Daryl Olson on the penalty minute list, Zygmunt Palfi, 83 penalty minutes in 57 games. Uh, let's see. So as far as scoring goes that year, uh, Sandy Smith led the team in scoring. Uh, you had guys like Derek Armstrong, Zygmunt Palfi, Chris Taylor, Chris Luongo. Uh, let's see. Steve Junker was on the team. Yoni Lato. Brent Grieve, Wayne McBean. So a lot of these names may be familiar to you, and some of them may not be familiar to you. Chris Pryor, who has come up a lot on this show, was the assistant coach. Dave Farish was the head coach. Now, Steve Jakes, and we're going to get into this in the interview, he started the year, he signed with Las Vegas, started the year in Vegas, uh, was traded to Salt Lake, and then was eventually traded back to Las Vegas. So the fact that Steve Jakes played a little bit of time in Salt Lake qualifies him based on the rules set by the dictator of the show, which is me, qualifies him for the show, and I'm glad it does because Steve Jakes had, I mean, we, it's a two-part episode, so you know we went for well over four hours, some really, really great stories, great Western League stories, and, uh, and you know, I've, I've spoken with Steve over the years back and forth uh like i said i uh i got familiar with him with fight tapes as i did with most of the guys uh back in his new west days and then eventually he ended up in kansas city playing with uh dean ewan and i know dean uh holds jakes in a very high regard so uh so getting the chance to uh oh and and, and by the way steve is one of the guys whenever i reach out to players and say, Hey, I'm interviewing so-and-so. I know you played with them. Um, what are your opinions on him? And if you're a regular listener, you know that I bring, I bring that up a lot in the episodes. I always like getting a teammate's perspective uh, on a, on another teammate. And I've done that with Steve numerous times and he's always been gracious, always gives me really detailed answers. So, um, so I knew 
getting him on the show is going to be fun because now he's speaking about all these firsthand experiences. So um, if you don't know Steve Jakes, you're going to know him. And if you do know Steve Jakes, we're going to pump you full of information to make you know him and his story a little bit more. So thank you, Steve, for the time. This was a really, really fun interview to do. So for you folks, buckle up because here is Steve Jakes part one. Ladies and gentlemen, I have a very special guest today. Um, the connection to the Islanders that my guest today has is that uh, he played uh, a few games for the uh, Salt Lake City Golden Eagles. So the Islanders had that uh, team for one season. Uh, they uh, are better known as a Calgary farm team before the Islanders, and then the Islanders moved on to the Denver Grizzlies. And uh, my guest today made a pit stop in uh, in Salt Lake City. So according to the rules set by myself in this dictatorship of a show that I have, he more than qualifies to be a guest on the program. I am very pleased to have Mr. Steve Jakes on the program. Steve, how's it going today? Good, Joe. Thanks for having me. This is uh, This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's going to be a blast for me. And, and, and first first things first, let me thank you because uh, for the regular listeners who, uh, who've listened in the past, they know that one of the things I enjoy doing is getting uh, quotes from the guest teammates. And every time I've reached out to you for a comment about a guest that I've had, you've always been more than accommodating. And, uh, and I really appreciate you doing that for me. So I just want to get that out of the way also. Well, and, and I, I really want to thank you for uh... – for that connection that you're building uh, between us, because uh, I'm not very good at keeping keeping in touch with with my old teammates, and uh, and you're, you know, I'm just grateful to you for uh, for kind of getting us back connected, and, and I I listen to a bunch of your podcasts now that now that I became familiar with uh, with what you're doing, and uh, just like being back with my old friends, it just it's just a great feeling, and and uh, thanks for having me on. Oh man, I, I really appreciate it. And that's really nice of you to say. So, uh, so yeah, so let's get started. So Steve, you just said you listened to, uh, some of the shows. So you definitely know the first question I'm going to ask you, you are a, a proud BC boy, Burnaby BC. Is that correct? Well, I was born in Burnaby, but I'm really, I grew up in, in Surrey. Kind of okay. Across, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm assuming that's Vancouver Canucks country. So, uh, as I always ask, I when I was a kid playing street hockey, I always wanted to be Bobby Nystrom or Clark Gillies. If I had a time machine and I went back in time to see a young Steve Jakes on the pond or at the rink, who who would you have uh, wanted to be? Well, uh, even though I never saw him play, you know, my every all the adults around uh, were always talking about Bobby Orr. So I was always, you know, I was a defenseman, so I was always Bobby Orr, which, which I never. The Canucks weren't very good, so yeah. it was it was hard to <laughs> hard to embrace. Although I, you know, obviously I enjoyed watching them. But if you if you want to be your hero, you know, it's pretty tough to beat uh, a guy like Bobby Orr. Yeah, and I guess that answers the other question. Uh, how come you wore number four on so many of your teams? I guess that's the answer. Yeah, I mean, you know, as a defenseman, most of us are looking for the lowest number that we can get, or at least early on. And uh, you know, sometimes it was three and sometimes four but uh yeah. but i'm happy to get uh, get number four whenever whenever i got it for sure yeah so going back to your bc roots and uh this is a, a question though do you have any memories of uh, when the islanders beat vancouver in the 82 cup final oh yeah i mean that the whole city was just just on fire i mean we're talking about our, our, our teachers were talking about it in the classroom i think they let us out earlier <laughs> 
couple times to watch the games. And we were just so, so on fire for, for that. So uh, it was kind of like a, like a David versus Goliath thing, you know, with the, the Canucks, we'd been kicked around so, so long and, and to be able to, to get a chance at, uh, at a, dy- at, you know, being a dynasty uh, was very, very exciting. Yeah. And also, uh, when you were a youngster, uh, you also have a story about uh, another former Islander, uh, Gary Nyland, who uh, you you have an issue, uh, not an issue, a story uh, going back to your summer hockey days as a youth. Yeah, that, that was funny. Uh, I would always play summer hockey at this place called Four Ranks. I think it's eight or 12 ranks now. Everyone from Vancouver would know it. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, Gary came out a couple times and... Uh, this one, you know, so I'm 14, you know, Gary's, you know, played for Toronto there for a couple of years. He's, well, how big is he? Six, four, yeah, 200. He's, he's just solid muscle, just yeah. a mountain of a man. And, and, uh, this guy who was out there playing, it was just scrimmage, you know, and, mm. uh, and Gary was out there trying to take it seriously and, and get in shape. And, and this guy, he, he sits on the, kind of a goofy looking guy he sits on the boards and he starts smoking a joint (laughs) uh, you know we're all kind of a little bit irritated because you know you're trying to skate and and there's stuff in the air but we're laughing at him more than anything and gary goes up and he tells him to put it out he's he's actually mad at the guy obvious obvious gary takes care of his body and stuff so uh the guy i don't know he lift him off or something or he didn't do it so he he gets back on the ice to to play the game, and he's he's coming down on a one on one on on Gary Nyland, and, and this guy hardly skate. I mean, mm. it's just awful, you know. He's a and uh, he kind of looks up at him, and he gives him a little juke, and Gary just dro- just punched him in the face with his gloves. <laughs> knocked, knocked the guy was skating forward, and he ended up flying backwards, <laughs> <laughs> and we're all just like. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> if he would have, he could have stood over him and said, say no to drugs. They could have filmed that and put it on a commercial. Exactly. You know, and uh, I, I think, you know, it was good. He was setting a good example uh, for, uh, for us young guys. Oh, definitely. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I generally start with the, uh, you know, chronologically. And uh, the first year that I have any, uh, any numbers uh, for you would be 86, 87, which is uh, Humboldt and Richmond. But uh, do you have any stories going back to midget hockey? Yeah. And, and I think, Part of my story, I should probably go back because I've heard some of your guys do it, and then you've asked. But um, you know, I grew. I I want to go all the way back to, you know, my dad, my six years old, because mm-hmm. it kind of who I was helped me become a, a successful in hockey. And and uh, my dad didn't always give me good advice, but one of the best pieces of advice he gave me is he said, "Son." It, no matter how big they are, it still hurts them when you punch them in the nose. And, <laughs> so uh, that sounds sounds good to me, you know. And uh, so I'm I'm in grade one, and I have a little little skirmish with some other first grader, and he says to me, he says, "You're dead after school. I'm going to get my brother to kill you." Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I didn't think a whole lot of it, but I. I, I, I leave school and I walk around the fence and here this kid is and he brings his, his grade four brother who's an absolute giant. You know, you're talking, we're, I was in, we were in grade one and he's in grade four and he's between me and 
you know, about a mile walk or run from my home. And uh, all I could hear is my dad's voice going, it still hurts when you punch him in the nose. <laughs> <laughs> I said, well, I'm either dead or I do it. And I, I jump up and I punch this kid right in the nose. And I think, okay, now I'm dead. <laughs> uh, I did it and I'm dead. And uh, he just falls down like a sack of potatoes and starts crying. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just start running. I just ran right over top of him and I ran all the way home. And, and I'm thinking, you know, come to school, I'm dead tomorrow. When I get to school, he's going to kill me. Right. Mm -hmm. And uh, next day I, I show up and they let us out for recess and I go to the playground and, and these two brothers saw me coming and they took off. They took <laughs> off to the other end of the, <laughs> and I was like, wow yeah. my dad was right mm -hmm. and uh you know that was just uh, at such a young age powerful lesson that um you know you can do something about bullies and uh and and it you know it kind of just gave me a lot of confidence not to be physically afraid and i you know i fought a lot as a kid i fought too much but i kind of became a little bit of the little bit of the enforcer on the playground around my friends, you know, when, when older kids or new kids would come and they'd start bullying, they kind of would look to me to do something about it. And uh, so, so to be asked to, to see a role for that kind of mentality and hockey, uh, you know, was pretty, I guess what you say, easy, or it, it was a natural transition to, to, when I started playing junior hockey to, to take on that, that kind of mentality and that role, I guess, if you will. Yeah. I think it's the, the age old story, you know, if, uh, when you're, you're a young kid and if you stand up to the bully, most of the time they're just going to crumble. And if you let them bully you, that's the kind of stuff that sticks with you throughout your, your school year. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that's a great, that, that's just a, another example of it. You stand up, you, you hit them on the button and they just, you know, crumble. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I liked hockey when I was young, but I remember I was 11 years old and we were in peewee, uh, peewee tryouts and this kid speared me in the nuts and I, I went up to him and he, he spit in my face and I was just, oh, I, I was just dumb. I was just frozen. I was dumbfounded. And I just said to myself, this isn't fun anymore, mm -hmm. you know? And I was a pretty chippy player, so I, I probably deserved I probably deserved the spear in the nuts, not to spit in the face. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, but that's when I decided, you know, why am I doing this? And I decided I just wanted to be a pro hockey player because, you know, like a lot of us, I had, I guess, daddy issues, and that was my way to just prove prove my myself, prove my uh, that my worth in the world was to be a to be a professional hockey player. So from an early age, I kind of. I wasn't that good. I was, you know, always on the rep teams, but I, I really tried to figure out how to how to become, you know, I guess an NHL an NHL player. Um, right. I didn't ever didn't quite get there, but uh, that that was that was kind of the driving force as a as a teenager when I was when I was uh, you know let's say fourteen. One of my teammates now older than that probably 15 or 16 one of my teammates on my midget team gave me a nickname he nicknamed me happy okay. and, and it was because i wasn't i was just a miserable little cuss and, <laughs> uh but that that team in midget you know we're kind of in a lower lower income part of town and, and we weren't street kids because we all had parents that were uh you know together enough i guess to get us to into organized hockey uh and and to pay for it but we're, 
kind of a lot of street kids or almost street kids. And, and we were pretty, we, we actually got suspended from the league in about February in my midget year. Cause we had just done hurt so many people with, with most, mostly sticks. Oh, wow. I mean, I was one of the mellow guys on the team and I, I kind of think some of those guys might be in prison right now. <laughs> <laughs> Probably uh, so, a good chance. Maybe at least one of them. Yeah. So, you know, when I got to junior and there and the sticks were gone, cause we, we couldn't fight in mm-hmm. you know, hockey. So it was all, if you wanted to get revenge and your hormones are raging, you, you're going to spear a guy or butt end a guy or cross check a guy. Right. And it gets really dangerous. So going to junior was tame compared to, to what we were doing back then. Um, so I, I'm not a big proponent of taking fighting out of hockey. And, and that was one reason why, because I saw, I mean, there was a couple, two kids uh, on opposing teams that had ruptured spleens because of, because of us. Wow. And this is, you know, serious business. Well, and I think for anyone who's, you know, be it my show or, or the other shows out there where you interview uh, guys who went pro after college, everyone says the same thing that the college game is way dirtier than pro hockey because in college you're wearing the full cages and uh, everyone thinks they're Superman out there and King Kong and uh, there's no accountability because you can't really hurt them. And then once you get to pro, everyone's held accountable. And, uh, you know, that's, I guess it's just similar to what you're saying in midget where you can't get at anybody. So everyone's free with their sticks and, uh, once you get to junior, then it's a, it's a whole different set of rules. Yeah. And, and I, I guess if you, if they had good referees that would call the dangerous stuff, I, I guess referees, a lot of them maybe have never played the game at a high enough level and they just don't, don't know. And it just gets out of hand really quick. So mm-hmm. I don't, I don't have the answer, but that, yeah. that's my experience. So, uh, as we get on to, uh, to, uh, junior a, uh, in 86, 87, you had a, a, a the season that we're going to talk about with Richmond, uh, it's not even so much the season, it's the playoffs. It's, I don't ever recall seeing anything like this, but prior to Richmond, you were in training camp in Humboldt, weren't you? Yeah, so so I was uh, kind of, I was a late bloomer. I wasn't really um, sought after by any junior teams, uh, tier two or tier, tier one. So uh, Humboldt had uh, their, their marketing guy, Brett Stebbings, he, he had developed, he was the first, they developed the first hockey uh, fantasy draft in Canada. Oh, yeah. So they made a ton of money, like, I, I don't know, millions of dollars. And they, so they're a very wealthy team. Mm-hmm. Um, and they put these little, uh, what do you call them, like trial camps around the around the West. And I went, I, I had to pay. I had to pay like 80 bucks to go try out, you know, to watch them. They bring scouts in, you know, college scouts and so I got kind of discovered at one and, and they said, Hey, we want you to come to Humboldt. You, you know, we love you and all this stuff. And, uh, so I said, okay. And then I ended up right at the last minute, I got invited to Richmond Sockeyes, which is also tier two junior A mm-hmm. camp, uh, which the, was the week before I was leaving for Humboldt. And, uh, I, I went there and I, I was really playing well at the time. I mean, I would, you know, I would play all day, every day in the summers and I was really developing fast and, uh, and so they wanted, they said, oh, man, don't don't go to Humboldt. Uh, we want you on our team. And I said, well, I mean, you know, I'm loyal. I, I already said I made a commitment to these to Humboldt. So I so I ended up going, uh, I asked the coach, you know, so I, should I coach his name with Bernie Lynch? Uh, we'll talk about him in a minute. But yeah. uh, 
he, I said, should I bring my car? He says, oh, no, no, there's nowhere in Humboldt you can't walk. And if you're on the other side of town, I'll come and pick you up personally. Uh, <laughs> uh, right. <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, and, uh, and we'll give you, I don't know what, it, 200 bucks a month, right? Mm -hmm. and, uh, okay. So I show up. He did actually pick me up at the airport, but uh, I pulled my groin first first day with the rookies. And so I was kind of hurt the first couple weeks the doctor told him i was faking it but i ended up getting in some uh some rookie games me and another rookie so the town square and i they could have put me in one house farther away from the rink so the rink was caddy corner in the whole town from the, where i was living so it was like i want to say mile and a half walk to the rink and then the school was on the other corner so i had to walk to school back to get somebody and then diagonally across the town to the rink i mean and it was where we're starting october and it was starting to get cold and i'm going how am i going to survive this and all and the it was just a kind of a toxic atmosphere none of the veterans were were interested in the rookies it was just it was a doggy dog kind of atmosphere and now i, I know it's, it came from from bernie lynch but uh they, they uh, i ended up playing uh an exhibition game and a couple of them. One night I had two shifts. I got in one fight The Bernie comes in and, and he, he just starts ripping on the team and he starts carving up guys personally. And he, he, one of this huge massive defenseman we had was tough as nails. And he says to the, said to this guy, well, I didn't want to say what he said, cause you might, somebody might put the, but he yeah. personally attacked his fiance or his girlfriend oh. in a na nasty way. Um, picked on another kid for smoking dope, got caught the other the year before. And he just starts personally attacking all these players in some kind of motivational, you know, what do you call it? Uh, uh, I guess theory, but he comes to me, he says, Jake's you, you whiner, you little whiner, you want this and you want that. And you go over there and play like that, you know, BS. <laughs> <laughs> And what he was talking about me whining was that he had offered me $200 and he ended up only give, paying me like 120 right? And I said, hey, you know, you said you'd give me 20 So, he, you know, and I only had two shifts. I got in fighting one of them and he says I was playing terrible. So, <laughs> But uh, so I, I've heard you talk about uh, Derek McPherson or Darwin or Duncan. Duncan, me. yep, Duncan McPherson. About a week before I left, Derek came. And he was an absolute breath of fresh air. He, uh, I don't remember exactly what the connection, but he kind of looked at me and my roommate and who are rookies and, and said, geez, what's the deal with these guys? You know, and just the kind of guy, I know what you're talking about. He, he looked you in the eye and you could tell like he cared about you. And, uh, and he was a veteran at the time and, um, he had just come down from Saskatoon blades. And so he, he really was, I want to just say something good about, mm -hmm some of the people there that really made a difference because, you know, we were away from home and a new junior experience in a toxic environment. And, uh, and the other guy I wanted to mention too, there, uh, the, the assistant coach was Don Clark Wendell's oh, yeah. mm -hmm. and Carrie's brother. Yep. And, uh, I, I am not exaggerating. I learned more from him in three weeks about how to play defense. And I learned prior or since about, wow. uh, specifically about how to play a three-on-two and, and understanding the risk-reward of when you attack and when you don't, how to play a two-on-one with the down, you know, not trying to 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 just always try and take away the pass, those kind of things. Like I, I never understood why, you know, when he went to PA, I understood why they were just a defenseman factory because he was, like, to me, a genius, you know. Yeah. 
and I, I took what he taught me in that three weeks, and I and I and I was teaching pro guys at the end, yeah. uh, the same things he taught me back then. So that was that was a pretty cool experience uh, being with him. So anyway, oh, I, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. So what, they had a little scam going. They said every everyone, all the young guys they cut, they try to send a flin flon because no one wanted to go to flin flon, mm-hmm. which was in the same. So they were using this team in the same league. Kind of, it was all about money, right? They'd send, they'd stock these young guys to flin flon, pay flin flon, then get them back the next year. Mm-hmm. They tried to do that to me. I said, no, I'm, I'm going home. He says, okay, fine, but you're going to have to pay for your release. I said, what, what, what are you talking about? So he wanted four hundred dollars for my release. And I saw. He says, oh, you, and you can. T- but in, in exchange for that, you can keep your hockey bag because it already had my name and number on the hockey <laughs> So I go back I go back home, which, you know, there's like four teams in the lower mainland. There's Delta, Richmond, Abbotsford. I call Richmond and say, I'm back. Now now I can play for you. And they're like, who are you? Yeah. We never heard of you. <laughs> <laughs> so I was mad at them. So I go to the last place team in the league, Abbotsford Flyers. They're just terrible. And uh, I practice swim for a week. And, and we're doing drills and i'm the fastest guy on the team like we would do races and i'm mm-hmm. the fastest guy on the team and they wouldn't pay 400 dollars for my release wow. <laughs> so, so sometime during that week or two richmond somebody in richmond remembered who i was and it's big they're big had just come out for one practice and i and i was like okay i finally you know because i had no other choice i was gonna have to go back to to midget or juvenile or whatever you know it was basically my career was over and uh, so I went to practice, and they remembered me, and they they cut a really good player, uh, Phil von Stefanelli, who ended oh, up playing. Wow. Yeah, uh, you know, it was just a phenomenal team, and mm-hmm. uh, they signed me, and um, so that's how I ended up on Richmond. Um, and you know, I don't know. If there's uh, lots of great stories about Richmond. I don't know if you want me to keep rambling or not. Well, I was going to say, you know, you had brought up uh, Bernie Lynch. And uh, I don't know how much you wanted to to go into that, but it, I mean, I guess in a way, you were fortunate to get out of that situation. And uh, I don't, Bernie Lynch, the story of of Bernie Lynch really didn't make it made ripples here in in the the states. And the only reason why I I even knew about it was because of, uh, you know so many connections to Canada. But uh, but I, I guess in a way, the way things worked out in with him, it worked out for the best no matter where your hockey career took you because you actually ended up getting away from a predator yeah and, and i guess we've only found that out the last couple of years he was he was getting away with it for years i didn't see anything you know at the time that resembled what he has been accused of doing um anyone can google it but definitely he was a bad bad person bad human being and I have only seen that kind of behavior with, you know, personally attacking players uh, one other time in my whole career. Um, and we'll talk about him later. But I don't want to compare the two right. people, but, you know, we'll, we'll get into some of the mm-hmm. some of the things later, probably. So um, when you were in Richmond, uh, unless I read it incorrectly, was your coach Orland Kurtenbach? Yeah. How yeah, was it was, playing for him? You know, he was just a... a commanded respect he was a he was a great nhl player tough as nails um just you know kind of let us just let us play like most coaches um just kind of managed managed the personalities more than any any kind of x's and o's um so yeah he i i I really uh enjoyed playing for for orland and the assistant coaches uh were great so 
you know, the, the players, we had 12, 20 year olds in that team. The, the owner um, just wanted to win a championship. So he, I think there's only about four of us on the team that didn't, weren't getting paid or had quote unquote jobs. <laughs> 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 All those young guys, but mm. you know, he, he built a team to win the, the Canadian championship and we ended up doing it. So uh, it was just a phenomenal uh you know, we were in the playoffs for, for two months. We'd played mm-hmm. seven playoff series. Yep. Uh, so, and it was, a, it was about, I think we got out of the lower mainland. We beat. Uh, I, I have the list. I have the list here. So before we get to the playoffs, I don't have anything else about the regular season with Richmond. There really wasn't anything that I could dig up. So before we get to the playoffs, if there was anything interesting that happened during the regular season or anybody that you want to talk about, feel free to do that. And then we could talk about the playoffs because like I said, this is just staggering. Well, uh, you know, one of the quirks about that league, well, first of all, we didn't wear shields. So it was just open face, right? Because all the junior teams had gone to the major junior teams and most of the tier two leagues had gone to the half shield. So, um, but what was really uh, kind of goofy was they for if you fought, you got a game misconduct. One fight. One fight in the game, but you could have as many game. You could have seventy five game misconducts, and they wouldn't. You know, there was no cumulative suspension okay. for too many game misconducts. Okay. And if you were the second or third, you know, subsequent fights were just a game misconduct. Okay. So as a result. The last five minutes of any game that was over two goals difference was just an it was just line brawls. Mm-hmm. It was just a gong show, and uh, you know I'm so grateful to have a an older, tougher team because it, it was pretty scary. It, I mean, we beat the crap out of some some kids pretty bad. I don't I don't think it was a good situation, but um, you know I was glad to be on the right side of, of all of those. <laughs> <laughs> I'd say so. I mean, there one one of my first game I remember. Uh, we uh there's some kind of scrum and i just jumped in there and i thought everyone was fighting so i just started punching a guy and uh you know was part of the whole thing and in the in the dressing room afterwards guys uh, one of the older guys jim gunn he says yeah i saw jake's his eye when that scrum happened his eyes lit up and he was on fire <laughs> <So they're> all- <laughs> They were all thinking that I was some kind of crazy man, and I just thought, well, I was just doing what they were doing, you know. So uh, they, I got, you know, kind of instant respect and felt a part of the part of the team after, you know, doing that, participating in that kind of stuff. I uh, another funny story there is, um, you know, I really, I, I, I was a little bit torn, but I did want to get a college scholarship because my parents kind of said that that was the thing to do, and I knew that was probably the responsible thing to do. And for those of uh, in the audience may not know tier two was the where everyone played to get to go on to ncaa because ncaa considered tier one major junior professional so once you played a, a game in tier one you were no longer eligible so at that at that age young age you kind of had to decide if you were gonna because all the tier one teams they take all these young guys and just put them in for a game just to destroy their eligibility um but that wasn't necessarily my case so uh i was playing pretty good and uh the scout for for Anchorage, Alaska came and he and after the game on a Friday night, he said, "Hey, uh, can I, you know, can I talk to you in the in the hallway after?" He says, "Hey, uh, we really like you. We're going to offer you a scholarship, and we're going to watch you tomorrow night, which was going to be the Saturday night, and then uh, and then we'll talk after the game, okay?" And so I said, "Oh, okay, you know, sounds good." And 
So Saturday night, Saturday night comes along and something happened where uh, one of their better players, Mike, I think his name was Mike Buffaro. He was a, probably their best player. I think he played up for the New West Bruins a little bit, but he, he did something to one of our guys. And I go, I looked at the ref and he was skating up the ice and I don't know why I did this, but I, I skate up beside him and I turned my blade over like with the heel of my stick and I just smoked him in the teeth with my stick mm-hmm. right in right in front of their bench. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh. And this is like the first period. Yeah. So he goes down and uh, their bench is going nuts, you know, and uh, so the next time I go down the ice, sure enough, they put all their guys out and I'm going, okay, what am I going to do? The scout, I can't get kicked out of the game because the scout wants to see me play. Right. So they drop the puck and the guy charges out at me and I turtle and all my team jumps in. There's a big line brawl, but I'm just turtling. I don't want to get kicked out. Right. (laughs) (laughs) We get through the game and, uh, and I'm what, you know, I get dressed and I, and I go out uh, to meet the scout and uh, he didn't show up. (laughs) (laughs) I was wondering if you left after you you took, uh, you did some dental work on Bafaro. Yeah, I never never heard from the University of uh, Alaska Fairbanks ever again. Nor, nor any. I think a tier two. Uh, I think by the time the playoffs start, I think most of those scholarships are all already allocated. So um, I didn't. I didn't get any college offers. So um, after the Kelowna series, I uh, got listed by PA Prince Albert Raiders and New Westminster Bruins after some game like one morning but because the New West Bruins were lower in the standings they they got my rights because they had a protected list back then it wasn't a draft right uh my favorite part of that story is the fact that you you put your stick in his teeth and you didn't get thrown out because you could have said yeah I I put the the heel of my blade or my heel of my stick in his mouth and normally I'm waiting for you to go yeah so I got kicked out no you're talking about later on in the game so it's just amazing how you know the way the leagues were back then because today they probably want to put you in prison. Well, no, I mean that was one of the things I learned in midget back is you know I I had I knew where the ref was looking so okay. they never saw what happened. Okay, and then where and even in some some extreme circumstances in pro when I really wanted to get someone. That's how I would generally do it is, you know, if they're a forward, they're going up the ice, I'm looking at the ref, and then I would do something um, pretty dramatic uh, that wouldn't be seen. So, all right, we got to talk about these uh, these playoffs here. So we'll, we'll, we'll start with the end. So that year, the Richmond Sockeyes went on to win the Centennial Cup. So let's work – well, let's go after – you're in the playoffs. Uh, you're you're BCJHL. You had to win probably what one or two series to become champions of your own league, or three. Uh, so I think it was two to get out of Lower Mainland, mm-hmm. and then we and so that was would be like Delta and then Nanaimo, mm-hmm. and they, and they were tough series. I, I I don't I guess I don't think we ever got beat until we ended up uh, playing humble uh, in the in the Western. But so anyway, uh, two to get out of Lower Mainland. Then the interior was Kelowna. Mm-hmm. And then uh, we played a little th- three-gamer against uh, Quinnell Millionaires. But, they, they, you know, they it was not much of a contest. Um, and then we then we did BC Alberta. And that was there was some pretty – I don't want to get probably get into it. There are some wild stories about that series. And, yep. uh, um, I mean, maybe we can get into it. But uh, That's your call, man. That's up to you. 
Yeah, so we played Red Deer, and, uh, you know, we beat them at home, and there was something that happened in the stands where they two of their players got suspended for attacking some of our fans. And I, I can't imagine a whole lot happened because we only had about 500 people watching us. But anyway, their reporter blew it way out of proportion. Um, so when we got to Red Deer, to play in Red Deer, it was, it was sold out. Uh, it was... Uh, we were called the Richmond Sockeyes, which is a type of salmon. So mm-hmm. they they were throwing uh, uh, tons of fish on the ice at us. We're covered in scales. Uh, our goalie got hit in the head in his helmet with a tin of salmon. Oh, shit. <laughs> Serious. And, uh, uh, they were throwing eggs at us. Uh, a couple times golf balls went in. They threw golf balls into our bench from across the rink. Oh, my so, God. Uh, they did, those didn't hurt anything, but... Uh, one of our young guys, Jason Tallow, got hit in the eye, right in the cheekbone, with an with a raw egg that was thrown from across the rink, and his face swelled up. Oh. We weren't wearing shields. Um, I, you know, I remember, I I went in the penalty box once, and uh, somebody reached down right in my ear and blew one of those electronic air horns right in my ear. I mean, Jeez. kind of damaged my hearing. Uh, it was just nuts. So. Uh, this this went on for two games, and I think the league finally stepped. And you know, people were kind of trying to drive us down on the street because we had to stay there for three or four days. You know, right. and, and it was a dangerous situation. So the seventh game came up, and they just they decided they were going to crack down, and they cordoned off the whole section right behind our bench, and they beefed up security. And, and unfortunately, they really didn't have a very good crowd. So. Uh, a lot of those people were just there to do that, you know, to cause that kind of problem. They weren't really hockey fans, but it was it was very very scary. Uh, after that Red Deer series, you ended up playing Humboldt, right? Yeah. So then Humboldt came. I, I think. How do you know how many games that series was? I don't, and I should have noted that. I think I was just in awe of the amount of playoff series you had to yeah. go through, but I didn't. I didn't see the amount of games, and then I know you played the round robin after that. Yeah, so that that series between the winner of BC Alberta and the winner of uh, they they won Saskatchewan Manitoba. Mm-hmm. We play, even though they were hosting the tournament, they were in whether they won or lost. Right. So it really was in a way a meaningless series, but we didn't play it like it was meaningless. We played it. You know, it was serious business. I think we were just trying to soften each other up for the Memorial Cup. Um, but we're all young and, you know, pride and, you know, uh, it was a hard-fought series. I think we, we ended up winning in seven games or, or whatever. And then we ended up meeting them in the round-robin tournament for the Memorial Cup in Humboldt. Mm-hmm. And, they, you know, we were the two best teams. There was also Pembroke and, and Dartmouth, but they really couldn't compete with uh with the amount of money, I guess, and the, the type of players that both Humboldt and we put together. So are these actual, obviously each series that you win, it, it's uh, it's a big deal, but it, it, you, it says that uh, you had the Moat Cup, the Doyle Cup, the Abbott Cup, and then the Centennial Cup. So everything before the Centennial Cup, like is are those big deals, like in, at least in the, in the town that, that you're playing in, to, you know, for the people in Richmond to say, well, we had the Moat Cup, the Doyle Cup, the Abbott Cup, the Centennial Cup, or is it just we're Centennial Cup champions? Yeah, I don't even know what those cups yeah. are. Okay. The only thing, you know, Centennial Cup was, was really it. Uh, mm-hmm. 
and and it's a little bit sad you know play vancouver there's just so many uh opportunities for the entertainment dollar to go that that junior hockey wasn't a big fan event Mm -hmm. um so really there it wasn't that exciting for the fans. It was more about us as a team and the, and the type of camaraderie that, that we built in, over those two months. So uh, you move on to Major Junior, play for one of the historically toughest teams ever in junior hockey, the new Westminster Bruins. I've had quite a few of their uh, alumni on the show, and I'm happy to have another one on here in you. Uh, one of the former guests that was on the show uh, who ended up not playing with New West that year, but he was with the team in the preseason was uh, Mike McWilliam. And uh, I believe you guys were involved in a brawl. So uh, who was it against and what happened? Well, yeah. Well, let me, let me back you up a little bit because I got a, a bit of a life lesson. Story. Oh yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. But I told you I got put on. Uh... So anyway, back in the mid seventies, you know, New Westminster Bruins went to the Memorial cup four years in a row. Mm-hmm. And won it twice. Uh, there was the Broad Street Bullies in the NHL, and then there was the Bruins who played the same style and had the same kind of success in Major Junior. And I lived 15 minutes away across the river in Surrey, so I grew up almost seeing them as as equivalent or better than the, than the Vancouver than the NHL team. I thought mm-hmm. these guys were you know were gods. So to be able to play in my hometown team with such a such history was absolutely a, just a, a dream come true you know um so they put me on the list so uh, i'm going to say his name because, uh, he's not going to look like he's in a great light in some of these early stories but i ended up really respecting him and, and i think he did change a bit but um uh, our our gm was john oliver mm-hmm. and uh and i think and the coach was john van horlick but yes. uh, mm-hmm. I think, uh, John Oliver called me up and, and he wanted to meet with me and my my dad. And I said, OK, so he comes to my dad's uh, living room and he starts telling me how great I am and uh, and says, you know, you're our kind of guy and you're going to play. Uh, you're going to be deep partners with Darwin McPherson and he's the toughest guy in the league. And, uh, you know, we, we can't wait to have you at camp, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm pumped and that's great. You know? And so I, so I go to training camp and I play great and we play about two exhibition games and I'm fighting and hitting and, you know, things are going well. I'm just, I, I just, you know, this is just the way it was supposed to be. Right. And, and I'm, I'm, I'm standing there by my stall in Queens park arena and, uh, John comes up to me and he kind of looks at me and he says, you're, you're Steve Jakes, right? <laughs> yeah he says yeah, you know you're playing pretty good you can keep it up you're gonna make you're gonna make this team <laughs> what <laughs> so it was just another example you know they do it in college recruiting and all yep. that they tell all these they tell 100 kids that that they're the they're the one and then you know just to just to get them into to camp and then they'll decide so absolutely absolutely you're 100 right yeah so uh that's kind of how it started uh with new so yeah so the the, the preseason man we we had well mac you know he's just a monster yeah. and uh he'd been doing it for a few years he had just come back from philly's camp or we was he going to philly's camp i don't remember but yeah we had a line brawl i think it was mark hollick who was a really tough forward i don't even know who the guys were you know scott daniels pad bingham mm-hmm. uh i'm Dar- darwin and me and, and you know we got preseason so it's just mm-hmm. a fight fest and you know i remember all f- 
five of us trying to sit in that little tiny penalty box and <laughs> sitting on each other's laps. And uh, that this is going to be a fun year, you know. <laughs> Who was it against? Who was the brawl against? Do you remember? Uh, no, I I, I okay. think we played Spokane early okay. on, and uh, and then we played Victoria, and uh, you know they uh, they they had some guys, but they I don't think they were stacked like us. Uh, another guy that was at camp was, but he was traded prior to the season. Was Link Gates? Uh, what were your impressions of a young Link? So I played against him uh, for one game, at least one game, the year before in tier two, and he played for. Uh, Delta, I think, and he was uh, a finesse centerman. Oh. I mean, he he, look, he was huge, right? Like yeah. he like a Viking, um, scary looking. But yeah. I don't think he went in the corner once, and he was like dangling. And uh, so when I heard that he had been called up, and he kind of became a tough guy, I was like, well, it kind of makes sense because the way he looks. But he sure didn't play that way. <laughs> So when I got to camp, I kind of heard the story that, I mean, the story I heard, and Dean would know this better than, than me, um, but I guess he got in one fight, maybe with, with Mick or Tony, uh, and, and just did really good and, mm-hmm. and kind of turned into a monster. Yeah. Uh, he was, uh, and he said something to Bomber one day, uh, we were getting out of the van, he says, I'm, I'm tough, right, Bomber? I'm tough. Like, almost like he was insecure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so anyway, the funny story about him is I, I he was, I, he was acting up or something. All right. I don't know. I don't know exactly why he didn't mm-hmm. play the black and gold game at the end. You know, at the end of training camp, yep. he everyone into two teams, but I think they kept him and bomber out just cause they didn't want, you know, for those who don't know bomber, Darren McPherson is mm-hmm. probably him and twist were the two toughest guys in the league. I think mm-hmm. at the time, uh, and he was my, he was my D partner. So I, I was able to. <laughs> walk a little taller yeah run pretty, around a little bit yeah mm-hmm. but uh, i think they kept them out of the game well link had gone to the bar you know let's say the game was at five o'clock so he was there all afternoon mm-hmm. he comes and and i didn't see it because i was playing but the story is he just he walked at the rink in chilliwack and he f- literally fell down the stairs right in front of all the, the coaches and gms and scouts <laughs> well yeah i could see that being an issue <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh so he was gone uh which you know i get i get i don't know that was probably the right move uh, i know yeah. you know he absolute terror in that league and, mm-hmm. and they're a great player but there was a lot of a lot of management issues that, that came with with link yeah and i and that wasn't exclusive to the western league i think that pretty mm-hmm. much followed him throughout his career so uh that was just the beginning i would imagine yeah, yeah. So um, a couple of guys I want to ask you about. You already talked about Darwin Darwin McPherson, and I was going to clarify for everybody because I think most people, when they hear Bomber, they think of Ken Baumgartner, but that was also uh, Darwin McPherson's nickname too. Uh, I was going to ask you about Darwin. Uh, what uh, what was it like playing with him, especially, like you said, you know, he's one of the tougher guys in the league, and um, you were a newcomer coming in. So did it, was it like just immediately you had this comfort level, like I play the same style, but he's already established. I could pretty much just do what I want and, and maybe get some tips from him as well? Yeah, I mean, he was just, he's kind of soft-spoken. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bomber comes, I think, from the fact that he's from Flon and they're, they're, they're famous yeah. mm-hmm. team, the, the Flon Bombers. So yeah. um, I think that's where, where that where that comes from. But uh, yeah, I think he, he, I think he liked me because of, you know, my willingness to, to meet the challenges. And 
uh, yeah, I mean, he, he was, he was a very good player. Uh, just no one did anything. They would rather go fight me obviously than have to deal with him. So <laughs> I got lots of action that, that way, mm-hmm. <laughs> but I never had to worry about any, you know, anything real bad happening with, with him around. So, uh, yeah, he was, he was a, just a, a great guy to, to start off your junior career playing with. And another guy you played with down there that went on to a very nice professional career was uh, the chief, Scott Daniels. What do you remember about playing with Daniels? So I kind of, so we were, uh, uh, one of the guys that's been doing the, some of the posting has a new Westminster Bruins. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Yep. I don't know. What is it? Uh, Facebook or something, yep. but uh, Twitter. He, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, I, and I, I really like that. Yeah. I, I, Hopefully, I might have something to give to him, but I just haven't gone around. Anyway, he posted that but we were we were ranked number one in Canada uh, after 20, 20 games or something like that. And uh, Kamloops was number two. They actually were higher than us in the standings, but uh, we had more wins, so we were ranked high. And I and then we, I, I don't think we traded Chief right away, but we traded Cal Zankowski, who was a solid tough winger point of game guy for a young guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we ended up getting rid of Mark Hollick. So two tough wingers gone, uh, replaced by one young guy, not, you know, and I think it was Calvin Nibs who ended up being a great player, but he just not, he, you know, he's young. So he wasn't giving us that level of success that those guys is. And then they got rid of chief and I, and for another young defenseman. So that kind of, we were really tough, really intimidating. Chief was a, a very skilled player. His numbers weren't, I think, quite as what they thought, but he did come on, I think, later in his career to, to put the numbers up. Yeah. But I think that really took away our identity, and uh, we ended up being kind of a 500 team. But when, when the, at, the, at Major Junior, when they trade the, they trade for youth. They give up experience for youth. Right. It kind of sends a message that, you know, this isn't really the year. Yeah. It's um, a rebuild. That was really just, and we're number one, con- number one in the country. So I think that that was the wrong decision. I don't know everything that went into it, but it kind of sucked the life out of us a little bit. I didn't care. I was playing cause I was just living the dream, but I think some of the older guys, maybe it, it took, took the life out of a little bit, but chief was a huge part of that. I mean, he was always, in everyone's face, whether he was fighting or not, he was just making life miserable for the other team, you know, mm-hmm. and he was a good player. So he was perfect for, for that, for that level. And I uh, guess he did it at the NHL too, right? Yeah, he did. Very nice career he had there. Mm-hmm. So uh, the third guy I want to ask you about is someone who, uh, who you also teamed up with in pro for a little bit. And uh, the following year in, uh, in Tri-City, I believe they actually made a poster of uh, of the two of you and that's that's the viking greg spenrath what are your memories of playing with him yeah he <laughs> and he was on it you know he came he and i were both late bloomers we were both mm-hmm. 18 uh so we both played tier two the year before and uh so we were able to kind of physically step in and and you know i think better than a 17 year old and certainly as a six most 16 year olds could uh so, you know, fighting all the tough guys, and he and I were kind of the two guys for the two years after that in Tri-Cities, too. And uh, he took, I think, you know, I guess we'll get in. He, I, I was defenseman, so that's a different, he was a forward, I was defenseman. So it's good to have, you know, uh, an enforcer on both mm-hmm. both positions. Uh, probably even better, as it, if you want to call it enforcer, 
probably better to have it as a forward. I uh, just had a little more freedom of movement. Um, but he uh, he had to take take on all the all the guys, you know, after after that that year. But he took on a bunch of them that year too, and super strong. If you ever saw him, yeah, seeing me with my shirt off, I don't I don't know I don't think that's too much. But seeing him with his shirt off, that's intimidating right there. So uh, this question is actually uh, that I want to, I had this down anyway, but now uh, when you prefaced it by talking about how you used to go to the the games, uh, you know, watching the team before you actually ended up playing for them, I was going to ask you about what it was like playing at the Queens Park Arena. Uh, But now that I know that it actually, I'm assuming it actually meant more to you because you actually would go to watch games as a fan there. And then you actually got to put on uniforms. So, uh, so that must've been a pretty amazing thing to do to play at that arena that I'm sure you enjoyed going to as a fan. And now you're on the actual ice. Yeah, that was, it was just a wonderful experience. You know, those old rinks have so much character. So, uh, you know, we, I didn't see it as a piece of crap old rink. I saw it as just a palace, you know? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Because of the history. Yeah. Well, uh, so, when you talk about that, it reminds me of funny. So we had a, a coach who was old school, man. He was too old school for a lot of the older guys, but I like, he liked me and I, I, I didn't, you know, I liked him. I had a lot of respect for him. Uh, John Van Horlick, um, uh, you know, very intimidating character, just honest and uh, treat everyone well, but he was a little too old school. Um, one of his, he was probably one of the last coaches that wouldn't allow players to have water during practice. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> so, so, and the re- and what jogged my memory there is because you talking about Queens Park. Well, and it's like it was yesterday. Um, so when we, whenever we'd have practice, uh, uh, the you know there was no boards behind the the players' bench. It was just open back to the dressing room. So there's a big kind of a wide walkway, and uh, Chief would usually do it, but he. We, so, you know, we do some kind of scrimmage where half of us would be sitting on the bench, right, waiting for our shift to go over and play. And, and Chief would lean back and lay down on the, on, on the ground. And our old train, our old, we had an old guy helping. I think his name was Muck or something anyway. Old guy just hanging around. Uh, another guy I wish I would have got to know better. But he would throw, he would roll the water bottle, a water bottle to Chief and then, Chief would take a drink, and then the next guy he'd sit up, and then the next guy would bend down so that John couldn't see us drinking water on the bench. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, that was that was kind of funny. I was too. I think I was too afraid to ever try it. I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't try. So we we didn't drink any water. The other thing is like he would do the gauntlet drill. I don't know. Like he would just make us line up and and hit each other into the boards. One, you know, line up in a single file line. Next, your turn, and you mm-hmm. go through the gauntlet. Oh my! I mean, I was I was so bruised up, my shoulders and hips and and knees from you know wrists from the games, and then you got to do this in practice. I think that that was a little much for for some of the older guys. I think yeah, um, it was a much for me. I feel like we guys were taking it easy on me as much as they could, but. Uh, pretty pretty rough so um one of the things that you and i talked about before we started recording uh, we talked about it earlier in the week was uh when you're in new west the eastern road trips when you play against teams like saskatoon and prince albert uh what, what were those road trips like and then going into those arenas yeah so every team in the west goes to 
uh, a you know eight games in ten days bus road trip to the east and, and vice versa. I don't know if it's that extreme. I know at least one time it was eight games in ten days, so that was crazy to begin with. Um, so I we were getting ready to go on our the first trip, and uh, I fought uh, uh, Rob Dumas, and uh, I separated my shoulder, but we only had five defensemen, so I had to play. Yeah. Uh, so our first stop is in Prince Albert. And, you know, I don't, I don't know if they probably weren't as tough as they were, you know, the year before, but right. had just a, a murderer's row, Reed mm-hmm. Simpson, uh, you know, uh, Kimby. Yeah. I was going to say it was Kimball there. Simpson. Yeah, oh yeah. He was there. Those two guys. Rod uh, Dahlman guys might still been there. I don't think he was there. I think okay. he was gone. But, you know, like Gord Krupke, mm-hmm. uh, Neil Pilon, just wiping guys out. Yeah. Like, it was like they there was just no referee when they were cross-checking guys in front of them. I didn't understand how that worked. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, that first period in uh, in PA where I had a separate shoulder, I must have been asked to fight eight times. I, mean, <laughs> I don't really know who these guys are, right? I mean, you hear the names, but mm-hmm. you haven't only played them one time. But they, I think they knew who we are, and there's just a ton of fights. And I couldn't fight because I was just had my my arm taped, literally taped to my my body. Wow. Um, so I think we got beat, got beat on the scoreboard, beat on the, beat in the, uh, in the, in the alley. So the next night we go down to, to Saskatoon and you got twist and, and chase and, uh, killer, Joey Kocher's brother, killer killer, there? killer. I don't know if he was playing that game. Okay. Uh, Harry Clark, you right. know, all these guys, uh, Corey Kocher's brother was a mm-hmm. scorer, but he was, he beat the crap out of one of our guys. It was obvious. He knew how to fight. Right. Um, I, I, uh, don't know why I did it, but I have a tendency when I'm really afraid it to almost go and like, I'm disgusted with myself. So I'll go challenge a guy just to prove to myself that I'm not afraid. (laughs) (laughs) I think I know where this is going. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, you know where this is going. Yeah, I think I know. You know, we heard who tony twist was right if there's one guy you're going to hear about is tony twist Mm -hmm. and and i also had a policy that if any defenseman and my dad kind of taught me this my dad taught me he my dad was a a real good player back in the day but um he said if any defenseman rushes you you make their job miserable and i think john van horta reinforced that too so so twister was a defenseman and he rushed the puck down my side and uh I don't, I don't know if I meant it or not, but I butt-ended him in the mouth. and Because uh, I, I guess he kind of got by me, but I, my only action was to butt it. So I, I bloodied his mouth with the butt end of my stick. Mm-hmm. So what you see on the video, he freaked out. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I see my arm like free. I think the tape ripped, but I couldn't punch him with my right arm. And I really wasn't very good with my left at that time. And he mm-hmm. just ragged on me. I mean, he's not really hurt me, uh, but he's just really ragged on me. And uh, apparently, they uh, coach almost threw Patty Bingham off the bench to save my life. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> but I think they broke it up just just in time, or would have ended up being a, a bench clearing brawl. Uh, and then when I pop up, and I'm just embarrassed, you know. So I try to punch him with my left hand, and I ended up <laughs> punching the linesman. Yep. And and so we're going to the bench. We're going to the box, and you if you see on the video, Twister, he snaps dives at me and the reason he dives at me is because i butt ended him in the mouth i mean mm-hmm. he's absolutely 
furious. Yeah. And uh, and we get in the penalty box, and this linesman's like six foot six. A guy punched in the face says, "You son of you sob! I'm going to kill you after the game." <laughs> <laughs> From the linesman, the, line, the linesman's telling me that he's going to kill me after the game. <laughs> get me out of here, you know. That's a Western League linesman for sure. <laughs> that's a Western League linesman, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, so that's, uh, yeah, they, they pommeled us. Uh, you know, well, not, so I think uh, Bomber and Twister had a great fight. And I, I I don't know. I think Bomber, anyway, it was just a great mm-hmm. fight. So they didn't, you know, totally dominate us. But um, but they, they did their thing for sure. It was all kind of easy after, after those two teams. Not easy, but, you know, it wasn't that type of uh, just – six guys ready you know chomping at the bit to fight all the time you also fought kelly chase that year too right yeah yeah it was uh i think that's probably it was just kind of a he's really technical yes and uh, i'm i was getting so one of the things that john van hork did and i did a, a little bit as a in in tier two what he made john made us hit the heavy bag uh, with both hands. So mm-hmm. he made us learn how to fight with our, our off hand. So I actually learned how to punch, uh, with, on a heavy bag with my left hand from, uh, John Van Horlick in that first year in new West mm-hmm. that he made everybody do it. Even this, even, the, you know, obviously he'd make the, the more physical guys do it more, but, um, but I was able to really learn pretty quick how to use my left. So yeah, it was just kind of positioning and it wasn't, well, I wouldn't say it was a great fight. Mm-hmm. Kelly did I, I felt good because it was obvious he didn't really want to get hit. And I kind of, I kind of measure my success based on whether that guy wants to keep, really wants to hurt me or keep going or he's done, you know? Mm-hmm. And, then, and you understand that joke, yep. as you know, uh, but most people don't quite, a lot of hockey players don't even understand that. Right. I, I think the majority do, but uh, there's different ways to measure measure whether you won or lost and by the way i've never lost a fight uh, <laughs> I, I, I tied a few we might talk about a few ties but <laughs> right, yeah <laughs> yeah we said as the years go on the memory uh the memories uh you know the stories get a little bigger every year yeah yeah that that fight with twister was definitely a tie yeah <laughs> right exactly <laughs> and, and and you know we already mentioned it go watch it on youtube and you could decide for yourself yeah and uh, and he got and so I'll, I'll jump ahead a little bit. He got me, uh, I, I, I'm assuming he remembered because I was playing for Phoenix and the first time we met, he was in Peoria and he grabbed me and, uh, he just started shaking me. Yeah. Like, I guess that's what he, I, he, I think he started doing that to guys or he would just sh- sh- kind of shake you before he punched you. Mm-hmm. Well, he just shook me right down. Yeah. And uh, I was like, well, if you want to shake me down, you know, that's better than getting punched down, I guess. And yeah. He, 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 <laughs> He was just screaming at me, you little girl, can't you stand up on your own two feet? And I'm like, yeah, yeah I guess not if you shake me like yeah. that. <laughs> there, there was another guy you fought that year, and I've only seen some of his fights on video, and uh, I never really heard of him before I watched the video. Um, but uh, Dean told me that he, he was uh, Gary Grant of Seattle, and I think Dean said he thinks they got him out of some work release program. Do you remember fighting Gary Grant? absolutely he was a scary guy yeah uh, he wasn't very tall but he was like a man mm-hmm. and he he hit like a freight train he punched me in the head a couple times uh because i i really wouldn't i turtled on him kind of once because he was the kind of guy so this is so he was the kind of guy who wouldn't 
really square off. I mean, he would, but he was prone to just jumping and starting to punch. Mm -hmm. And I would always, I always wanted, if the game was even close, I was going to draw you into a penalty if you're going to do that. So you, uh, so he did that to me a couple times, but he hit me so hard that it really hurt. And that was unusual. Um, you know, right through my helmet. Uh, so he hurt. And yes, I think he, he was in prison and obviously that, I don't know what his background story was, but I think yeah. he, he definitely could have been a tough guy in the NHL, but it probably, you know, I'm assuming, I, I don't think he was a very good player. Right. We never saw much of the playing. It was mostly when he was on the ice, something, something physical was going to happen. But yeah. So if people go and they, they look back at the history of the new West Bruins, uh, it literally is a who's who of legendary tough guys, legendary enforcers. Uh, you know, it, like I said, the guy's, that uh, that you played with, you talk about uh, Darwin and and Spenrath, uh, Daniels. You got the Ewan brothers. You got Mike McWilliam. Uh, tons of guys that played in New West. But the person who holds the single season penalty minute record for the New West Bruins is none other than Steve Jakes. Now, is that because people didn't want to fight Bomber? They wanted to fight you, or or did you maybe instigate a few of those? Uh, well, yeah, no, uh, I think. A few of them were probably the the lesser of two evils of yeah. fighting me. But but I, I uh, you know John Van Horlick said, you know you cannot call yourself a tough guy unless you have at least twenty fighting majors mm-hmm. in a season. And so I thought, well, that that's easy. I can do better than that. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I I just uh, he played me a ton, yeah. and uh, he let the more I played physically played me and it just snowballed so i was always always getting you know in the thick of things and i was young and eager and i didn't you know worry too much about you know i i I think my whole career i just would do i would get involved physically to the extent my body would allow me or you know if you're going to give it to somebody you're going to get it back Mm -hmm. And that's why some I, I respect some guys that are you know call it shit disturbers or whatever because mm-hmm. you know like a Danny Shank mm-hmm. they get abused you know I you don't like them when you play against them but they what they give they get back mm-hmm. and so you know I would give as much as I thought I could take back and uh, you know and then when that ends up and and I think uh, three hundred and some minutes that's I think that's without tens I didn't take right. a lot of tens. Yeah, three thirty-six without ten minutes. So any of the any of the tens that you got would just be added onto this. So you ended up with three hundred thirty-six with, uh, and that's not including ten-minute misconducts. Yeah, Kelly Chase beat me at the last game. I think he got in a fight just so he could win. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, I want to I want to point something out because, like you said, Van Horick played you a lot. I mean, you got forty-six points in sixty-nine games as a rookie during the time when the Western league really was the jungle. So, uh, so that's not too shabby for a defenseman. Yeah. Yeah. No, I know. I, I wanted to be a hockey player. You know, I want to be, the fighting was the, the actual fighting part, not just the, the intimidation part, but it was, um, they more just came to me. I wasn't going out trying to challenge guys. Mm-hmm. It was just part of, uh, just trying to intimidate people and, and then, reaping the consequences of that uh and that's all uh, my whole career if i was playing i really didn't want to fight unless i was forced to because i was more valuable intimidating with 
with my stick and my you know cheap shots and dragging guys down and just generally irritating the other team's best players you know it's when you don't play and you have to kind of fight your way back in the lineup that's when you see more of the more of the what do you call it the dances or whatever where you drop the gloves and you know you're going out looking for it and you know, we'll we'll probably get into some of that with different coaches and and what they what they valued or whether they knew what I could do or not. A couple couple cool story. Uh, so my first my first uh, game in WHL, uh, we went into Portland and they were sold out. And I think it's like eleven or twelve thousand people in their old in their in their old rink. There is where the it was where the basketball team played. So it was a big league mm-hmm. kind of facility, and. Uh, uh, there's two two twins there. You probably heard of them, Troy and Trevor Poole. The pool, yeah. Dean uh, Poole. Dean used to manage to catch up with them every time they played each other. So I'm very familiar with them. Yeah, and I think Trevor was bigger than Troy. Mm-hmm. Uh, these two kids are just crazy, right? And mm-hmm. uh, so right early on, this this Troy Poole kind of jumps me, and he gets on top of me and he he gouges my eyes. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm not very happy about that. So I wait. And we get up, and I, I wait till the third period. It's my first game. I don't want to take any stupid penalties, but we, oh, we, I'm on the point, and he's playing his left wing right in front of me, and we scored a goal to go up like three or four goals. So I go, okay, here's my chance. So I go up behind him, and I sucker him. This is after we scored the goal, so the, the, the whistle is blown. I sucker him. He goes down. I get on top of him, and I grab his lip with my glove, and I just rip his lip up as hard as I can. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> And, uh, and we, they separate us and, uh, ended up, he freaked out so much that they gave him an extra two minutes. So not only did I get him back, he got the extra two and he is freaking out in the penalty box. And you've probably seen, you've seen Dean's antics in that penalty box. Well, he is throwing stuff at me. He's freaking out. And, uh, Brian Shaw, the GM of, of Portland comes down into the penalty box and pushes him in back down in the seat and he's scolding him like a little kid. Like he pointed his finger at him. This is in front of 12,000 people <laughs> and he's push and pools turning his head and looking at me as he's getting scolded. Like, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, uh, anyway, he gets off and, uh, he's no, I, I got the extra penalty. I'm sorry. So he gets off. He says, we're going as soon as you get out. So, the next time I get out, so this is getting close to the end of the game, and uh, he jumps on the ice. You know, it's not his shift, so he jumps out as soon as I get on the ice. So we are at center ice. We drop the gloves, and back then we took our helmets off, yep. right, because the visors. And the crowd just – it was – I had never seen anything, right? I mm-hmm. played in front of 500 people, you know, and uh, 12,000 people would start jumping on their feet and start screaming. I was so pumped up. I, I jackhammered him about 10 good ones right down to the ice. I just beat the crap out of him because my, my adrenaline was running so high. And uh, I tell you what, that was my first game, and my teammates loved it. So there was no rookie initiation stuff or like that for me because of, uh, you know, what happened in that game. I think uh, the team, my teammates liked it. Oh, I'm sure everybody liked it except the Portland fans. Yeah, yeah, it was a real downer for them. <laughs> what um, you you uh, 
during the course, you're you're a New West fan, and you're a New West fan playing for the team now. And at the end of the season, the team is moving, uh, not only moving, but they're moving to the states. Uh, was there were there rumors about that happening before the season ended, or was it something that caught everybody by surprise? I I don't know. I think there yeah. was, uh, mm-hmm. but I wasn't really. I wasn't aware. Mm-hmm. Um, I had heard things. You know, it's not like we have the internet like we do now. But I, I think some of the, maybe the older guys that were more aware of their surroundings or whatever. Right, right. I, I had no idea. And uh, how, how did you react to that? I mean, you had the opportunity to play for your hometown team, and now not only are you, you moving, you're moving to another country. Uh, was that disappointing for you? Uh, it was because I, you know, I, I love the history of the New West Bruins, and you know that was my team growing up, and mm-hmm. obviously that you know had some great fans. So I was I was disappointed when I first heard it, but um, you know when they took us when they took us down there and, and showed us the new building, and everything, you know, I got got excited about that pretty quick. So uh, so when you go there, you have a, a couple of new teammates that uh, that like to play physical uh, in uh, in Tri City. Uh, first guy I want to ask you about is Rob Cross. Yeah, Rob was a uh, Rob was big guy. Yeah, he had a he had a five o'clock shadow as a as a nineteen <laughs> year old and uh, probably close to six three two two fifteen. Um, you know, knew how to hurt you. Mm-hmm. Uh, wasn't a lot of there was no toe to toe, but he he was pretty mean. Um, yeah, he was just one of those guys. He would just scare scare half the other players just by looking at him, you know, uh, especially the young guys. So, and he was a good hockey player too. Um, you know, he, I, he just say he he took a lot of bad penalties, and I mm-hmm. think that what what made him move on from from Rob, mm-hmm. um, or maybe I don't know all the story. Maybe he wanted to move, but um, but yeah, it was fun playing. I played with him quite a bit that first year, and. And uh, we did some damage. Uh, another guy I want to ask you about is Trevor Sen. What do you remember about playing with him? Oh man, he was fun to fun to watch. I, uh, he was. I, I guess he ended up doing that same kind of just jackhammer fighting a wide open style in pro too. So you yep. got to really respect that for a little guy like that. Tough as nails. Um, now one story. I don't know if he wants me to tell it, but I I was getting a little. He was getting a little big for his britches as a rookie, mm-hmm. and I think I was a little big for my britches as a vet, trying to be the be the vet, you know, keep all the rookies in line. But he he wouldn't. We were in Moose Jaw, and he wouldn't take the bags in because mm-hmm. rookies take bags. Yeah, and uh, I grabbed him and I threw him up against on the training table, and I punched him right in the face, and he just took it. Yeah. And I was like, oh, man, what did I just do? You know? <laughs> <laughs> not, not that I was afraid of him, but yeah. I knew he was the type of kid that would. But I had a lot of respect for him that he took it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I shouldn't. Have, I went too far, but it was just interesting little exchange. Where, yeah. And I realized, you know what, I'm there's a better way to yeah. <laughs> get rookies to take the bag than to throw them on a table and, mm-hmm. and, and punch them. Um, I don't know what the other guys thought about it, but I, I was kind of embarrassed. Uh, another player uh, that you played with who's going to play a significant role in the certain part of this interview, uh, the Sandman, Taron Sandwith. What do you remember about playing with him? So the most vivid memory um, 
was he got in this toe-to-toe fight with Jeff Rogers. Okay. And uh, I don't know if it was the first or the second, but it was an unbelievable fight. It's, uh, I don't think it's on video, but if it was, it would be incredible. But right at the end, Rogers really, really hit him with a really bad one, like mm-hmm. messed his face up really bad. And uh, I don't think he was ever quite the same after that. You know, it's kind of that when you're young, you don't know how bad you can get hurt. Right. And he was 16, I think, and Rogers was 20. Mm-hmm. And obviously, you know what Jeff Rogers can do to people. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that that was, you know, he ended up being a pro and I, I fighting isn't everything, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, with this kind of the theme here. So that was, was one thing where I think that scaled his enthusiasm back quite a bit. Um, now what I don't really know what he went on to become. I think mm-hmm. he fought a lot more later, but, uh, I can't imagine it was like that, or we'd be we see we'd be here talking about him, and you know, for a long time. Mm-hmm. All right. So another, you know, we mentioned Spenrath already, but this was the year I believe the Bruce Brothers poster debuted. So how did that all come about? Oh, that I don't even want to talk about that. That's so embarrassing. <laughs> oh no! Come on, you got to If you didn't want to talk about it because it was uh, something that made you angry. Something that's embarrassing. Can we, can we, I'll let it go, but. Yeah, no, no. Okay. It is embarrassing because I, uh, and the reason it's embarrassing. So, um, I think it was Greg's billet. Uh, mom was a really creative, like she ran, um, I think this is where the story, anyway, how it came about, but we saw, I saw it as a money-making opportunity mm-hmm. and I was young and I, I think, that that should not have been a money making thing. It should have been for charity. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, my my bill mom was really great, and she she taught me a lot. I my, my mom didn't know what was you know she didn't she wasn't there, so she mm-hmm. didn't know what was gone. But she kind of met, let me know that this should have been done for charity and not for our own profit. So okay. uh, I don't know if Greg feels the same way. That's the way I remember it. But that that's just something you got to learn. You know. And, yeah. uh, I, oh, I, I think, thought I thought you were going to talk about you know because he was like like you mentioned earlier, like the physical stuff, I didn't know it was anything like, uh, like what you said. So, yeah, no, I, I think we, I don't know. I think Greg was better at the, the promoting. I mean, those mm-hmm. fans in Tri-C, we were sold out every night and they would cheer as soon as we'd get the puck over the, over the red line. I mean, mm-hmm. they'd be on their feet. So that was, that was just, you know, icing on the cake for promoting. And we were, we, were, we couldn't, we couldn't do any wrong in that town for the first couple of years anyway. Well, this season you uh, you continued uh, your fistic ways. You had 233 penalty minutes, but also again, I can't help but keep pointing this out out with my guests. You had 52 points in 61 games as a defenseman. I know that we're going to get into a, a few other things later about uh, you know this was really I think the season where where you got noticed by a lot of people. So I want to I want to touch on that a little bit uh, later, but I just want to again point out that when I say it all the time with every guest that I've had on the show and all the players that I always talk about as being a fan of whether they were Islanders or not, when, when you guys got a chance to play and were given responsibility, the numbers were there. I mean, you know, again, you're playing in one of the toughest eras in the Western league. You're putting up penalty minutes and 52 points in 61 games. I'm sure you had a lot more, a uh, lot more points than a lot of defensemen uh, that season. I would imagine. Uh, yeah, I, I think I was one of the top. I was voted uh, 
best defenseman in the West, and uh, Dan Lambert was best defenseman in the East. So uh, it was it was you know good feelings after that. Um, we had a pretty good power play, but uh, you know a lot of that's power play stuff. Um, uh, but the next season, uh, we'll talk about that later. But it really, we had an incredible power play the next season. So um, you know you got to you got to play with good players to mm-hmm. to put up good numbers too. Well, you, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Especially as a defenseman, you know. Yeah. So you mentioned that you were voted best defenseman, and that was, I believe, the first year of the uh, best of the East and the best of the West polls. And you ended up having, I believe, two fights that year with the player voted toughest player, and that is the aforementioned Dean Ewan, who was a Seattle T-Bird. Uh, what are your memories of your uh, fights with Dean? Well, I I don't know if I fought him when I feel like I fought him. Uh, the first first year when he was in Spokane. Oh, okay, okay, maybe I missed and, that. I thought it was twice with Seattle, but I could be wrong. Yeah, I don't. I, I mean, but I know he chipped my tooth on one of them with a <laughs> got my head down and gave me an uppercut and chipped my tooth right at the end. So I mm-hmm. wasn't uh, didn't like that very much. I don't want that <laughs> to happen again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean he was the, he was really. In our division, at least, which is really all I knew, he, mm-hmm. I think he was the man. Um, and he he was really good at letting everyone know that he was on the ice, too, which is a very important part of of being an, an enforcer. And, and I like to call an intimidator mm-hmm. because if if you're just a, if you're just if, if you're a guy that we can let sleep, uh, then you're really not being effective. And if you're a guy that the coach doesn't put on the ice, um, you're not effective. So he played a lot. And he played tough, and everyone knew that when he was on the ice, you better, you better be willing to uh, back up what whatever st- stuff you stir up. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think I, I think my style was good for fighting someone like Dean because I could switch hands, mm-hmm. and he was so technical. You know, he he did he always got the better of me because he was just stronger and and better, mm-hmm. uh, but he never beat me up. Mm-hmm. Uh, badly so you know the chip tooth and everything but i think he just got tired of me switching and back and forth you know when he usually get one shot in before i got going mm-hmm. and then he'd switch again so they were kind of <laughs> very technical fights but he, he always got a, a little bit better on me and eventually uh you ended up being his teammate in kansas city so i'd imagine it's better to have him uh wearing the same uniform as you as opposed to being playing against him well way better you know and, <laughs> and, and plus you know what a great guy mm-hmm. wow he was uh, we were we were very close um and the the, the giggle you yeah. know <laughs> just uh just a sweetheart of a guy and, and humble man mm-hmm. he would he would tear himself up and laugh at himself and and you can't help be attracted to people like that yeah the infamous giggle that everyone uh, everyone that <laughs> plays with him keeps bringing up the uh the infamous well the famous i guess because infamous implies maybe negative but uh <laughs> but i've heard that giggle quite a few times so uh yeah. hopefully if he's listening he's blushing right now but uh but uh, and I I asked Dean about about you, and he said you know you're a really low key guy, but pound for pound one of the toughest guys to play and one of the toughest guys he's played against. So for someone with his uh, resume, that's pretty high praise, I would say. Well, I'll take it. You fought a few other guys this season that uh, I want to ask you about. Uh, one guy, absolute monster, too. We'll get to him in a second. Um, there was a line brawl 
against Regina, where I think you ended up pairing off with Jeff Sebastian. What do you remember about that? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. It, well, it was one of our, I think it was one of those first home games in Tri-Cities where and we won the game right at the last minute, so the crowd was already in a frenzy, and then and then we had this line brawl, and, and I think we won almost all the fights, and the, the crowd just thought we were this was the greatest thing, show they've ever seen in tri cities. Right. And, you know, and so we were the toast of the town that night and, and after that, but, but yeah, Jeff uh, was happened to be the guy I got paired up with. And uh, I don't know how he did it. I, I mean, I was hitting him a lot and I think he was tired of getting hit. Um, and he says to me, Steve, Steve, your, your contacts on your face. <laughs> <laughs> like, Oh, that's weird. How would he even see that my contacts on my face? <laughs> I like, okay, should I draw, should I let go of him to grab my contract? Is this a trick so he can punch me? <laughs> but these contacts are 120 bucks, right? I can't afford to buy another one. Right. So I let go of my hand, let his arm go with my hand. And I sure enough, I could feel it on my cheek and I'm like, okay, is he going to hit me the whole time? I'm thinking he's is a trick. He's just going to pound me. <laughs> And I grabbed my contact and, and we let each other go and we went and we went went to the dressing room because you know we were kicked out of the game. So that was I to I have I'd love to ask him how he how you would look at a guy that closely uh to see that he had a contact on the side of his face when you're in an, when you're in a fight. I don't know. <laughs> it might have been uh maybe the reflection of a light or something. Uh you know, there's a spot on your face that's a little shinier than the rest. Maybe that's how we saw it. Yeah, no, I don't it was kind of funny. But. Um, another guy you fought that year who is currently the head coach of the Islanders uh, AHL team in Bridgeport, uh, Brent Thompson of Medicine Hat. Do you remember fighting Tomer? No. I no? Don't. No. Uh, no, but I, I played with Brent in uh, in the LA Kings organization. Yep. So I yep. know him so good, yeah. Okay. Uh, but uh, no, I, I, you know what? I Unless something dramatic happened mm-hmm. or it's on vi- it was on video, mm-hmm. um, I, I think I forgot a lot of them. I got you. Well, so far your memory's been excellent. So, uh, so compliment there. <laughs> um, talk about you. So you're you're new. You guys are. Where did you guys play? Kennewick is that where the the home rink was? Yeah, it's called the Tri Cities. It's Richland, Richland, Pasco, and Kennewick. It's like South Central Washington. It's right. a big wine country, egg country, and then the Columbia River comes right through there. So there's a lot of shipping uh, that comes through there. So there were already a couple of teams in Washington. You had uh, Seattle and Spokane. Uh, also, Portland is still a rival. What was that like now? Because uh, you're now geographical, not that uh, New West is so far away, but now you're in the same state as uh, Spokane, Seattle. So you have that more geographical rival. And like I said, Portland isn't too far away. Uh, I'm looking at the fight card. I know that uh, we already mentioned you fought Dean. Uh, you ended up fighting Nickel and Patterson with Seattle. You had Dragasevic with Spokane. Uh, Mike Barlidge. Uh, he fought Roy Mitchell and, and Cluston with Portland. So what were what were those rivalries like? Uh, you know, I, th- I think that it just depends on who was who's better than you. I mean, I don't know that. Uh, I think Seattle was more heated. Well, I guess more tough guys on each side gets a little more heated. But if you got a good team like that one year, Seattle had a really good team, then they were our rivals, or we felt like they were the rivals. And, and um, so I would say probably Tri-Cities and Spokane is probably the most heated. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I, I don't 
really remember anything out of the ordinary. Not nothing like you know the old days with Saskatoon and, and Prince Albert or whatever. Um, and you actually played in the uh, WH All Star game that season, correct? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I think that's how I got drafted by, because of what I did uh, to Mike Madonna in that's, that game. Yeah, I was going to ask you what uh, what was your uh, lasting memory that well the memory you left people with uh apparently uh i don't know did madano have his head down or something how, how did that play develop well for starters uh if i think you take the top 10 scores in the league and we only had one or two guys in the top 10 so the east had much more skilled team mm-hmm. uh much more skilled division so we all were kind of uh grinders except for a couple of us you know like dennis holland but uh, compared to their real skilled guys so and I think we had the West had lost a couple of years in a row. So we went into the game wanting to win. And it was pretty obvious right from the start that they were there just uh, for a typical all-star game, you mm-hmm. know, Sunday skate. Uh, so we won the game five to one, but I actually made a bad change. And I stopped myself uh, when I realized that Madonna or they were coming, and they're coming our way. So I actually started skating towards Madonna, although I didn't know it was him at the time, but I started skating towards him in a very unnatural way. Like usually, you know, you go up and you come back with him. So I, I was in a bad spot. So I thought, well, I'm just going to try to hit him. You know, I'll probably miss him, but who knows if I hit him great. (laughs) (laughs) So it was because it was an opposition. He wasn't ready for it, and I just smoked him. I think uh, Phil Huber was behind him, or Darcy Lowen, and and, we, and he, he got kind of sandwiched and uh, broke his skate for it. And he was he was Mister Everything for Prince Albert that yeah. year. He was, he, I think he was a, a, uh, responsible for sixty percent of their points. Wow. So they went they went from first place to last place, and then uh, you know it's kind of a news item, uh, and I had a quote about it or a couple quotes, and then. Um, uh, a week, a month or two later, I'm sitting out a game, and uh, the scout from LA, uh, he says to me, "Geez, you really made a name for yourself with that hit on Madonna." <laughs> <But, laughs> I, I really didn't know it was that big a deal until the scout for the NHL team said uh, something about it, and then they ended up drafting me. So I thought, yeah. "Well, it must have been a big reason why." Uh, yeah, I definitely want to talk about the draft. I want to ask you about two other guys that you fought that season, and we're going to go from one end of the spectrum to the other. Uh, what did a young Pat Falloon do to uh, to get the beatdown that you gave him? Oh, he uh, he's just a feisty guy, yeah. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, who knows? We were probably losing. He probably pushed me, and, you know, he's a rookie. I'm not going to let him get away with that. Who knows? You know, he was just uh, – it was who knows just i think it's something in front of the net and uh, i know you remember you have to remember fighting jim mckenzie in back-to-back games oh yeah yeah that was i mean jim jim i i think i you know i listened to his his show with you and mm-hmm. he didn't hardly talk about junior and i kind of because he really he was you know the famous story about nick Fatiu and how he'd get lathered up and make sure the guys that were walking in saw him with his shirt off. And mm-hmm. I'm sh- I think that Jim McKenzie did that cause he was huge and he was ripped and you know, you're in the, and you're in the, the hallway doing your sticks or watching him. And it's just very intimidating. And he was a man amongst boys and we heard he could fight. Mm-hmm. So well, I think we're in Victoria and I'm 
I don't know how it happened. I'm probably trying to make something, make a point for our team because we're getting beat. And uh, I felt like, you know, he beat me up. Or he, I did, or no, pardon me, I, I tied him, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's another tie. And uh, and I said, okay, we're going next game. And uh, okay, and I go, oh gosh, what did I just say? <laughs> <laughs> so it's, uh, and I think it was a couple nights later, we're in Tri Cities, and I know, you know, I, I hope he doesn't remember, I think, and I hope he doesn't remember, but he probably does. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> And I'm just getting myself worked up, you know, in those games where, you know, you got to fight and you can't, there's no way I could have played the game. So I want to get the fight over with early because my hands are shaking like a leaf. Um, and uh, sure enough, right away, uh, they put him out against me. I guess their coach, uh, I think Wayne Naka, he knew probably what was going on and we dropped him. And uh, I think the fights on, it might be on YouTube, uh, mm-hmm. but it, I, I did pretty good. You know, he beat me, but I, I was able to duck at some key moments and not get, not get really destroyed. I, I was so pumped up that after the fight, I, I got up and I tried skating to the penalty box and I fell down or tripped over my own feet. Cause I was so just jacked up, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you, you could see, I mean, he knew how to fight and he was so powerful and strong. Um, you know, he's uh, obviously he was going to be an NHL heavyweight if he wanted to be. Yeah. And that year, um, you know, to, to top off the year, we mentioned you play in the All-Star game and you actually are named to the WHL first team All-Star team at the postseason, the All-Star team, the one after the season. So that had to be a pretty good feeling. Yeah. And I think that's what I, what I was mentioning. So, but yeah, it, I mean, it, it makes you, you don't all know how you stack up, but when something like that happens, it gives you a lot of confidence. Um and you can use it for good. You can rest on your laurels, which maybe I did a little bit, mm-hmm. or you can, it, it's double-edged, right? You can let rest on your laurels, but also gives you, it takes away a lot of fear that you can't do things, which is important too. Confidence is important, but there's a balance between not being overconfident. So I always point out for, for players that played in your era, and like you said before, there's no internet at the time, and, and there. You know the the TV coverage of the NHL draft always seems to focus on the, the top picks. So, are you expected to be drafted when when the um, when the scout mentioned something to you? Is that when you think, hey, maybe there's a chance? I mean, had any teams reached out to you before the draft, or you you had no idea? No, I well, uh, I had so our, we we had agents. Greg and I had agents, and they told us that they thought they told I think both of us that we were probably going to go in the fourth round and i think greg maybe went in the seventh and then i went in the 11th so in that sense it was kind of a disappointment um but no teams didn't really they didn't talk to us and uh, i'm assuming you didn't go to the draft no that would have been embarrassing uh yeah the only if you didn't go in the first couple rounds Mm -hmm. and you went to the draft that was generally viewed as presumptuous i guess <laughs> yeah so how did you find out that you were drafted where where were you that day and uh you know who who gave you the phone call because i know a lot of times again this is pre-cell phone so teams if you're not home teams might reach out and then your parents have to track you down or your agent or your coach how'd you find out i i don't remember but I, i'm assuming uh john oliver uh did our gm um uh, so i'm assuming he told us it may have been our agent uh that's a good question. I don't know. 
Uh, and just to point out to everybody, uh, I know you're drafted in the 11th round, but you were drafted only seven selections after Vladimir Konstantinov. So, you know, you're right in the same neighborhood with him at that draft. <laughs> and no, I know things were different back then with drafting the Russians, but I just wanted to point that out. You're in this, you're in the same universe as Konstantinov. I'm I'm very familiar with that. Somebody somebody messed that one up real bad. <laughs> so, well, the good thing about being drafted is you get to go to camp with that team. So I, that's what I want to know. So you're you're this young kid, young BC kid, and you're walking into training camp with the LA Kings. And I just want to throw out some names because this has got to be like you know like a fantasy camp almost. So you walk into that locker room. There's legends in there like Larry Robinson. Wayne Gretzky, Luke Robitaille, uh, of course, you know, being the Islander fan that I am, John Tonelli, Bernie Nichols, Dave Taylor. And then on the other side, they had some pretty tough guys there like Marty McSorley, Jay Miller, Ken Baumgartner. So what is your initial experience walking into that uh, training camp with the Kings? Yeah, so uh, the Wayne Gretzky had bought the Hull Olympics mm-hmm. uh, major junior team mm-hmm. uh, where Hazy, yep. uh, they were uh, played and uh, so we had camp, training camp there. I guess you know Gretzky figured out how to make it happen. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, it was very disappointing because they had a split camp mm. and uh, all us rookies were basically never playing with with the veterans. So I was very disappointed. Uh, um, and uh, you kind you kind of around the guys but you're not really, you're not playing with them. So you got a bit of, you know, I've been around them in the training room, but not on the ice was, was, was very disappointing. Uh, You know, you grew up watching these guys, it's a dream come true. And um, yeah. So we'll, we'll talk about the next camps because I think uh, some veterans didn't like it either. And I, the story I heard is some veterans did not like that. And the next year it was not split. So, Got a lot better after that. All right. So after this camp with LA, you head back to Tri-City once again. Well, this year you just exploded offensively, 84 points in 64 games. Uh, You focus more on the scoring. You only had 185 penalty minutes. So it was obvious now, you you know, you were more like Bobby Orr with all those points. But uh, but no, you know, again, what a great season, 84 points, 185 pims. A couple of guys we're going to, I want to ask you about. Uh, Scott Levins, what do you remember about him? Uh, he was kind of like me, where, or actually he was an old, I think he was 19-year-old rookie. He had kind of a late developer, uh, so he came in as a more mature rookie. Mm-hmm. Uh, I He fought a little bit. Yeah. Uh, I never saw what he ultimately became, was right. what I understand, uh, a pretty, pretty good enforcer. I never really would have expected that because he was more of a skilled guy mm-hmm. back then, but obviously he did whatever it took to, to, to play and yeah. play at a high level. So, uh, you know, great kid, um, solid guy. And, uh, I'm happy, you know, that he was able to, to make a career in hockey. Uh, what about Jason Bowen? What do you remember about him? So he was a really young kid. He yeah. was only 16, but he was, he was bigger. He was one, probably the biggest kid on the team. Uh, super eager. Uh, I think he fought a little bit which we were all maybe a little bit nervous for him to fight because he's so young, but because he was, he, he knew how to protect himself. Um, and I don't think he wouldn't go after the big guys at that point. Uh, I think Spenner would have jumped in there before that happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, Greg Spenrath, but 
Um, but yeah, a great, great season for, he was on the bang line. He was our, probably our best body checker. Mm-hmm. Uh, cause Sean LeBron was gone at the yep. time. And we talked about Sean who was an, you know, an Islander guy, but yep. Sean was a very skilled player, six two. 200 pounds and he was always enough with new west and with tri-cities he was always number one on the team in hits mm-hmm. and he put some guys out so um you know here's a guy playing your first line and he's leading your team in hits that was a, a tremendous asset mm-hmm. but uh jason bowen was always just crushing guys with body checks when he was 16 and uh what do you recall about playing with terry virtue virtue uh <laughs> It really weird because he was such, he was so good. I think he had a confidence issue if I was going to guess, because mm-hmm. uh, I remember a couple games that I was out for suspension or, uh, you know, injury and he kind of took my spot uh, and he just played unbelievable. I mean, he was just, you know, probably better than me. Mm-hmm. And so, and then almost like, I don't know, maybe when I came back and he got put back on the bench, it was not as good. So I, I, you know, he, en- he ended up having a good pro career, and uh, I can see why. Yeah, he was good and tough fight. He just did it all. Okay, so uh, one of the things that I read about, uh, a little controversy with the team this year, uh, the team hired uh, Bill LaForge as the new director of ho- hockey ops, and uh, he created quite a stir amongst the team. It, it was uh, basically a mutiny uh, from what I read in the article. Uh, what do you remember about that? Yeah, that was uh, national news in Canada and the U.S. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're practicing one day, and I think it was a day after a loss to Seattle. Kind of at that, you know, in that time was our arch arch enemy, our our, our nemesis. And uh, all of a sudden, this Rick Kozbacks, our coach, and he's on the ice, you know, starting. I think it was just a warm up for practice, and then we hear this whistle blow. And this guy jumps over in a tracksuit and hiking boots, a hockey stick, no gloves. And uh, he goes to center ice and he, he blows a whistle again. He says, everybody in here. And we're all looking at each other like, who's this guy? And so Rick Kozabak, the coach, you know, slams a stick and skates off the ice. So we figure, well, Rick knows what's going on, yeah. <laughs> and he's leaving the ice. So I guess this is somebody we're supposed to listen to. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't remember any of us knowing who he was until he immediately tells I'm, I'm Bill LaForge, and I'm your new coach. <laughs> <laughs> and so we're, we, we kind of slowly migrate to the, to the center ice around him. Like, I guess he's the new guy we're supposed to listen to. And uh, he, he, so he says... Uh, Anyway, he sets up all these weird station drills, like drills we'd never seen before in our lives, like jumping over each other, jumping over, just station drills that are just kind of weird. Mm-hmm. And it's nothing you'd ever seen. And anyway, the practice is, we're kind of skating around after practice. And a couple guys said, we're not doing this. I'm not, we're not doing this. So I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about, not doing what. But we get into the dressing room and he, he says, everybody, on this side and he points to one side of the dressing room and he, he basically has, has us sitting on each other's laps. There's about, there's room for about 15 guys, you know, 12 guys to sit and he's got 22 of us sitting. We're sitting on each other's laps and he's goes on this crazy speech about how we're, you know, we're going to shave our visors down. So when we fight the other team is going to cut their hands and 
raising our bench so that we're bigger. We look bigger than they. And he says, then the kicker was, he says, let me tell you something. If you put Ken Hodge, who, for those of you that don't know, Ken Hodge is the coach of the Portland Winterhawks. He says, Bill Afford says, if you put Ken Hodge in the jungle with just knives, I'm the one that's coming out alive. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. No, just all this crazy stuff. And so, so he lets us get undressed and uh, everyone says we're having a team meeting, you know, and uh, I think I want to say Olaf was, Olaf Kolzig was, it's Benner too, I think. Uh, Anyway, I don't want to throw guys under the bus. Yeah, yeah. There's like, we're having a team meeting. So a few hours later we meet and they say they want to boycott. And I'm, you know, and I'm the captain. Well, Spinner was co-captain, so I'm like, well, and I wasn't a huge fan of Kozabak anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, plus, I just, I said, listen, I'm not doing it. Mm-hmm. I said, this is not the right thing to do. Uh, who cares if he's crazy? I mean, lots of coaches are crazy. I'm sure he'll, I'm sure he'll get better. You know? yeah. <laughs> uh, so they. They respected that, and uh, they they went and uh, one of the billets got them a ho- couple hotel rooms and, and and wouldn't tell anyone where they were mm-hmm. and and helped them write a statement. And so I show up the next day to the rink, and and you know I'm the only one there. I'm the only one not on the boycott. And I sit down, and LaForge says, "Come in here," and he starts talking to me. And he says, "I'm he says I'm going to get you drafted, kid. I like your style." <laughs> I said, well, Mr. LaForge, I've already been drafted. Uh, LA drafted me last year. He says, oh, okay. And he told me like three times that he was going to get me drafted. <laughs> so, and he was slurring his words like a drunk person. Yeah. Uh, and so the story is that he had banged his head. Like, I didn't notice that when he was mm-hmm. giving us the crazy speeches. It was just crazy speech. But after that meeting where he told me three times he was going to get me drafted and he was incoherent, I thought, oh, I need to find these guys and I need to join up with them. <laughs> <laughs> But I couldn't because they, no one knew where they were. You know, yeah. there was no cell phones right. and uh, they were being protected by. The, uh, so anyway, the, the owner gave in and um, I think he was glad just to shake us up. I think that was his motive to just shake the team up. So he put Koza back back in and uh, we, we went to, and played the next game. I think they did cancel the game because of it. But uh, it's quite a quite a quite an act of uh, rebellion. Yeah, I'd say so. It, uh, well, I got the job done, right? It it did, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and uh, yeah. I think I think L.A. liked the fact that I didn't go, or they do. They said they did. They liked the fact that I didn't. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's difference of opinion, I guess. Yeah. Um, so on the ice uh, that year, you had a pretty good scrap with uh, Mike Ruark, who was uh, Portland Winterhawk. Do you remember that fight? Uh, you know, I do only probably because it was on. It's on. I saw it on video. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he was he was a little bit younger, so it should I think it should have went the way it went. But uh, he ended up being a, a tough pro for sure, taking on a bunch of tough guys. Now I don't know if this one's on video, but hopefully you remember it. Uh, you fought the cruiser, Paul Cruz. Do you remember fighting him? No, I don't. But I, Spinner fought him a few times. In fact, one of the best fights. You know, I talked about that uh, Terran Sand with mm-hmm. Jeff Audrey fights. One that was right up where that was a. Uh, was uh, first year in Tri Cities. Uh, we played Kamloops in an exhibition game, and Kamloops and 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 this kid with this ridiculous blonde uh, afro <laughs> <laughs> is on the other team, and 
and he challenges Spinrath and they're, you know, they take the gloves off and you see this hair and, and, and I'm just thinking, oh, Spinrath's going to tune this kid up. He doesn't know what he's doing. And man, what a fight. Mm-hmm. It was just toe to toe fist on flesh. It was just incredible. And, uh, Paul Cruz, I, I don't know if that was his first fight in the WHL, but it was a beauty. And uh, I thought, okay, I'm glad Spinner's fighting him and not me. <laughs> <laughs> That's some uh, Viking on Viking violence. Yeah, exactly. All right. Mm-hmm. So now here is where uh, Terrence Sandwith becomes a, a part of this interview. I reached out to him and I asked him what he remembered uh, about his time with you. And uh, he went a step uh, above because then he uh, – he had a group chat with a couple of your other teammates. So I think some of this stuff is pretty funny. I, I hope that you do too. Uh, so uh, for for uh, Sandman said at first, he said, ask Jake's about my draft year when I was a big time prospect, but was a shitty player. He was probably our best defenseman, but I made the all-star game in Tri-Cities and he didn't. I think I apologized to him. Do you remember that? Yeah, that was, that was... You know, he was going to be a draft pick, mm-hmm. and uh, and I had I was the best defenseman, you know, so like I said, in the West mm-hmm. the year four, and I was actually a better player than the next year. And uh, so Kozabak, I don't know, he, he didn't – anyway, they didn't put me on the list. And I knew this because my dad was uh, in a – like a after-game press conference with, uh, with Ken Hitchcock, who was – coach of Kamloops and he was coach of the all-star team because they're winning. And my dad asked Ken Hitchcock in front of a bunch of people why I wasn't on the all-star team. And Ken and Hitchcock said, because I, I couldn't pick him because they wouldn't put him on the list. <laughs> 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 so Hitch ratted, ratted, uh, ratted out, I guess, cozy. Um, so, you know, I'm glad I'm happy. That's fine. Uh, I don't, yeah. I was already drafted and that's mm-hmm. just the way those things work. And no, Sandy was a good play. He was, yeah. we called him smoothie because mm-hmm. uh, he, he was a smooth skater. He had a little bit of a funny style, but, but he was, he was a really good, good player. And I, and I, I think he deserved to, to get drafted and be on that all-star team. So the next three, uh, next three things I'm going to bring up was a group effort uh, between uh, Sandman, Terry Virtue and uh, Dan, Dan Shrestenka. And by the way, they all say hello. They all wish you the best. Awesome. Uh, so, uh, so here we go. Ask him about getting bag skated, and Jim the trainer was in the stands, but didn't fill up any of the water bottles. We had 30-second break to grab water, and the bottles were all empty. Jakesy threw one at Jimmy, and they started fighting with Steve on the ice and Jimmy on the bench. Do you remember that? Yeah, I had actually forgotten about it, and uh, Stinky, you reminded me a couple of years ago about it, and then it kind of came back to me. J- uh, he was crazy. He, Jim Craig, he was a crazy trainer. I think uh, I think Stinky said he fought like three of us, but uh, J- he ran down at me. He was, you know, on his feet on the bench, and I was on my skates, and we were like, going toe to toe like a hockey fight. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, I think we were laughing about it uh, probably the next day. We probably weren't laughing about it th- that day. but uh, Right. <laughs> um, apparently there was a, an incident where uh, Ole left the ice early, and I don't think you liked that. And uh, you and Ole had a fight in the uh, in the dressing room? Yeah, yeah. Uh, he, I came in, you know, I he left early and I didn't like it. And uh, so as soon as I finally was done on the ice, 
I walked in the dressing room and he sees me and we, we just, I don't know what it was. We locked eyes and we just had instant hate for each other. And we, <laughs> charged, we charged at each other and then met at the middle of the dressing room and just took haymakers at each other. I, neither one of us connected, but we tried to <laughs> knock each other's head off. <laughs> and, and, you know, people should know that just because he's a goalie, Ole's a big dude, isn't he? Oh, he's huge. He's yeah, a big he's boy. Big. I, I was li- I was listening to one of your shows. Who was it said that he was the toughest guy on their team in the in the American League? Uh, I, don't, I don't remember that. that. <laughs> uh, so here's here's the one here's the one that uh, that I hope you find funny. I I was I was debating. I don't know, but they all got a laugh out of it. So they said uh, remind him, ask him if he remembers when he used to buy Shasta and sell it to us after practice for a profit, he kept them in his locker under, under the seat to his stall and counted them all the time to make sure nobody stole one. Absolutely. That was my, that was, I put gas in my truck. <laughs> <laughs> and that, the funny part about that was, I don't remember who it was in the conversation. Somebody's like, what the hell is Shasta? And they're like, shitty soda, you know? <laughs> so, uh, so yeah. So that's why I wanted to uh, see if you remembered that too. Well, I, I was able to buy it. It was like a no-name brand, and I bought it for $0.25 cents and, and sold it for 50 to the guys. Yeah. Uh, and I took credit. I, yeah. I would give, I think, six pops credit max. I had a whole business, and, uh, <laughs> and awesome. Stu Barnes wrecked it because he's reading the can one day, and, and he says, says, aspartame, that's the stuff that causes cancer. Oh. I'm not drinking this crap anymore. <laughs> he shut you down. And that's how come I got it so cheap because it wasn't NutraSweet; it was aspartame, and he wrecked my whole business. <laughs> oh well, th- those three guys, you know, uh, made sure to say they uh, they wanted to say hi and uh, uh, you know send you their best. So uh, uh, all in fun. I'm glad they they still like me. I love those guys. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So, do you remember when Ole scored a goal against Seattle? Yeah, it was right behind the puck. It was it was super cool. It was just like Hextall had done it in the NHL. What is the year before or something? So Ole wanted to do it, and uh, I think he came close uh, one or once or twice. But yeah, he 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 fired it dead on, and uh, yeah, it was awesome. We just we were pumped. I jumped in his arms, and we were we were loving on each other after that. So I think anyone that followed the Western League, followed Tri City, or followed Seattle this year, uh, you're going to remember one thing from this season, and that was in the playoffs. Um, I believe earlier in the game you fought Brent Bilodeau. I believe it was before it, but then at some point in the game, uh, your team and the Seattle fans had a little bit of a disagreement. And uh, the Western League doesn't get a lot of uh, coverage here in New York, but even that made Sports Center. That made our our local news here. So uh, tell me what what you remember about that whole incident with the stick fight with the Seattle fans. Yeah, I mean, I remember it making George Michael Sports Machine, so I thought we were, I was famous after beating <laughs> George Michael Sports Machine. That was pretty cool. Uh, so I, let me tell you from my perspective, not seeing the video, because I've seen the video, so then I, I kind of put thing. But all I saw was, you know, sticks being swung. Like the we had sticks and the crowd had sticks, and I'm on the ice. So I figure we're going in the stands. So I go, I come off the ice, I go on the bench, I got my, I don't know why, but I kept my, I get, I kept my stick in my hand because I figure I'm going to have to need it to, to fight these fans with my stick when I get up there, right? I mean, it's a pretty tall, tall glass. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, so I start climbing up the glass and I get my kind of head and chest over the glass and this fan grabs my stick out of my hand and rears, rears back and just clubs me over the head with my own stick. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> so he, uh, I think uh, the somebody grabbed his, so I'm, I think everybody else is going over the glass. I don't know. I'm the only one, but I get my feet up on the top of the glass. Like we're talking about 10 feet up there or something ridiculous. And I'm re- I'm just about to jump in the stands because I'm just focused, you know, in front of me. I, I don't know that I'm the only one up here. Mm-hmm. And the cop, there's a policeman right below me. He gets and he grabs me by the shirt and he pushes me back down and I fall back down backwards onto uh our uh, kind of an older uh, guy who was helping us as a trainer, kind of like a water bottle guy. Mm-hmm. I not he get he gets knocked out. Oh shit! And so uh, then subsequently, uh, Donnie Blishin, who's our backup goalie, he's up there. He's a tough, tough cowboy from Colorado, uh, Calgary. Mm-hmm. He's punching guys, and uh, apparently one guy was about to hit me with a stick, and Oli broke his goalie stick over the guy's head. Oh shit! And, Oli never got suspended for it, so I guess it, it didn't show up on the video. But, uh, yeah, a bunch of us got suspended. Um, Coach Kozabak got suspended. Jeff Fancy. Terry, I think Terry Virtue got suspended. It was, it was vicious. It was they. It, it was some tough fans. There. All, those fans were always kind of like that, a lot of drinking, a lot of young people. Uh, Seattle was a, was a pretty scary place to go. I don't know if you ever heard any stories about the old building where they had that um, – that tarp where you had, if you got kicked out or you, at the end of the period, you had to walk by that tarp and the fans would poke out there and throw stuff at you. And I heard one time uh, a guy pulled a, I don't know if it was our team, but a guy got a gun pulled on him. One of the nope. players. Oh shit. The, Get out of here. Yeah. It was it, Seattle was kind of a nuts and the, and the, the security just kind of let it get out of hand. Wow. I didn't know that. Well, but I didn't, I didn't turn out. I didn't, I did I got the worst of that. Yeah, so. Oh shit. Well, and, and you weren't done. I mean, you ended up uh, having a nice little uh, series of fights with Darcy Simon, who was someone that I'm a big fan of. Uh, what do you remember about that little uh, – you had three fights in one game, I think, and then I think you fought him a week later. Yeah, he he was kind of my arch arch enemy. I, uh, I, didn't, I didn't like him. Yep. Uh, I didn't like the way he fought, mm-hmm. and I didn't like the fact that he didn't take his helmet off. So mm-hmm. the guys in uh, Seattle – and the guys in Portland, I don't know if it was the rule, but they would never take their helmet off mm-hmm. uh, when they fought. And I, it, that kind of rubbed me the wrong way. So I would, um, I mean, I remember one of the fights where he kind of cheap shot one of our young guys and I went and just tried to kill him. I tried to rip his helmet off. I couldn't even rip his helmet off. So mm-hmm. I don't think we ever had any good fights. Yeah. Uh, I think Spenner fought him way more you know way more than i did but mm-hmm. uh you know he did his job i mm-hmm. you know and i look back how am i gonna you know i'm not gonna disrespect someone that played as hard as he did mm-hmm. um he's a decent play he's a good player i think he played pro he fought a bunch of guys so uh you know i respect him for that but i certainly hated him <laughs> at the time yeah, he played pro he played with uh spinner for at least one year in uh pei 
Oh, I'm sure they had some good stories to tell. They probably had a bunch of fights in practice too. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, they were uh, they were the with the PEI senators, so uh, they played together uh, at least one year. I don't know; I'd have to check the numbers again. But uh, I remember catching a game up in Albany. I met up with both of them after the after the game. So uh, so they were obviously a fun duo to watch. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, so now we go into the uh, second training camp with LA and it's funny because the only thing I wrote was how did this one differ from the first and obviously you already alluded to it but uh, so this training camp you're allowed to uh, to skate versus the veterans correct or with the veterans yeah and uh, it started off uh, with one of the highlights of my career which was uh, I got paired up Larry, De- Larry uh, Robinson was, we had four defensemen. I mean, he played a ton. You only had four defensemen on a team. Larry made a bad change. Can you believe that? <laughs> and I had to go out and, and I, I go out on the ice after Larry makes a bad change. And guess who's coming down full speed is Gretzky with the puck and Sandstrom on the wing. So I'm, I'm facing a two on one in a bad spot with uh, Gretzky and, and Sandstrom. And, uh, Gretzky tries to put it between my feet. No, sir. I kick it up to my stick and pass it up. I broke up a two-on-one my first time on the ice with the great one. So I'm highlight of my career. <laughs> That's not too bad. And how many people could say they had to make up for uh, a mistake by Larry Robinson and then uh, were able to thwart Wayne Gretzky? That's not too bad. Exactly. I, I think you should have just dropped everything and walked off at that point. Yeah, That was like, <laughs> I'd say it. it's not going to get better than this. I'll see you guys later. Exactly. I, I just felt 10 feet tall. I, I want to jump to a quick story about Larry Robinson. So I got uh, my second year in uh, in, their, in Phoenix there. Uh, I was getting some treatment in L.A. So I went to the game and, you know, talked to some of the, my teammates. Were, they were called up or whatever. And we there's three of us standing around the dressing room after the game. All these celebrities and everything, you know. You know Gretzky's there. Curry's there. And they're all milling around. And and, you know, three of us minor leaguers are just talking to one another in the middle of all this. And get and Larry Robinson walks up to us and, like, wants to just get involved in the conversation, just like one of the guys. And we're all yeah. like, uh, 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 Mr. Robinson, uh, <laughs> what would you like to talk about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Now you're all on your best behavior. Yeah, so, so he was one of the guys, you know. Yeah. It's absolute legend, mm-hmm. and uh, that, that was pretty cool. That's excellent. Uh, yeah. Anything else from that camp that stands out? Not nothing's going to top that, but uh, any uh, any physical altercations or anything uh, memorable from that camp? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I fought Jay Miller and uh, did really well. Um, I think I beat him, uh, or at least he he said to one. He said to Jim. So I got to be kind of close to Jim Thompson, mm-hmm. another tough guy yep. there, and. He said that Miller kind of said, wow, who's that kid? He really surprised me, you know, that kind of thing. So uh, that gave me a ton of confidence because he was one of the top dogs at that time. Um, you know, well, I think he had a pretty short career, but uh, he was he was the real deal. And uh, I was able to kind of go both hands and, and get to my right, which I always like to get to my right for some power. I never had a lot of power with my left. It was more of a more like a decoy. Not, but you know, I could do some damage, but it had no, not nearly as power as my right. So if I could get a guy going, both hands, and then get him where he wasn't tying my right arm up, because I was so, you know, I wasn't strong enough to break out of uh, strong guys that had my had my right arm. But so if I could get guys kind of swimming with their hands, I could 
get with the right, and I was able to get him a few good rights. So um, that went well. Anything else, or we should move on to Phoenix? I don't want to leave anything out, especially with the NHL camps. Yeah, we did the rookie camps, and they were nuts, right? I I, I don't remember doing much. Mm-hmm. There was, you know, we fought Montreal. We played Montreal and Quebec. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that what was it? I don't think there was rookie camps that second year. I think that was the first year in Paul uh, because we were playing the French teams. Oh yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I remember not really liking that. Mm-hmm. I I never liked brawls. I mean, there's a lot of them. I just felt like they're. I was going to end up on, on, you know, underneath some big monster, you know, and I didn't, I just didn't like that. And I, all these guys fighting that don't usually fight. I'm like, I, I, I'm going to save it for the regular season. Right, I don't, right. I don't know if that was the right answer or not, but I wasn't really interested in just the gong show of those rookie games. Well, you end up in Phoenix. You adapted to the pro game. I mean, numbers-wise, uh, it looks like you, you couldn't have done any better. Uh, 10 goals, uh, 24 assists, 34 points, 227 penalty minutes. Uh, and, of course, you know, I got to ask you about some of your teammates. Uh, you already mentioned them once, and it's a, a recent guest of the show. Uh, what do you remember about playing with Rick Hayward? Yeah, well, I mean, you you, you asked me about him, and, mm-hmm. and you did that story to him, and, and... – I don't know if we want to spend the time rehashing it, but, um, well, yeah, I will because no, go right play. ahead, man. Go right yeah, ahead. So I'll, t- I'll tell you the kind of the whole thing where, yep. um, so we're, well, first of all, Ralphie Backstrom didn't like me. And the only reason I made Phoenix cause they had to fill up two. One reason I got signed by LA was because they had to fill up two minor league teams, one in new Haven and one in Phoenix. Right. So they, mm-hmm. they basically signed all their draft choices and, uh, I, I actually sat the first game. I think they went with five defensemen in Kansas City. So, um, uh, and I never really gave a good first impression in training camps, or, or you know, it, it always kind of took me a while to get going during the season. But anyway, we were in one of the first games. Uh, we're in San Diego, and Steve Martinson is just running around, you know, and uh, he smokes me from behind. Steve Martinson's, uh, you know, they're they're big guy. And he hits me, and I retaliate, and uh, he turns around, and we fight, and he kind of gets the better of me. So not only did I lose the fight, so not only did I get, I got hit, I lost the fight, and I took an extra two. So I was <laughs> like, this is not good, you know. Yeah. And uh, so, and I always, and I always did, I, I always took pride in trying to draw more penalties than I took. Mm-hmm. So the next time he's out. I try, I kind of goad him into one and sure enough, he takes the bait and he starts punching me and, uh, Hey, Hazy, Rick Hayward is my D partner. Well, he, he doesn't know me really. You know, he doesn't know I'm some big tough guy from the West, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he jumps in to save me. So he starts punching Marty and I'm like, no, no, I'm trying to suck this guy in yeah. to get my two, two minutes back. And, uh, so that didn't quite work out, but it got him kind of, Anyway, so it's near the end of the game, and Martinson comes out, and uh, he's in front of our bench. I'm on the ice. He's in front of our bench, and he starts chirping at our bench. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm on the ice, so I just, I knew exactly what to do. I go up, and I challenge him right in front of our two benches, almost perfectly in the middle of between our bench and their bench. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why, but he didn't grab my right arm, and I knocked him out. I literally knocked our toughest guy out right in front of the bench. He goes down. 
he broke his ankle going down. He told me later he I hit him so hard that his ankle broke because he was out. Uh, so so they they take take him off the ice, and one of the guys that takes him off the ice is this real shit disturber named Robbie Nichols. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. Oh yeah, we, mm-hmm. yeah, yep. we hated him. Yep. So we, we're basically the game is won. Their tough guy has been knocked out, and uh, you know by a nobody, a rookie, mm-hmm. and uh, so our goalie David Gaverdi starts John. And everyone's, we're just kind of rubbing it. So they send me off the ice and I hear all this ruckus on the ice. And so I come out and I guess Hazy had just been, was just skating around. He was so pumped up that he was taunting their team. Altour is trying to get at him. All these guys are trying to get at him. The line, you know, it's just a big, a big ruckus and the crowd's going nuts, like boo. Yeah. You know, and, uh, and so I walk out of the dress room to find out what's going on. And Hazy's walking towards me on the, on the, on the mat and he just i said what's going on hazy and he just grabs me around the neck and gives me a huge neck hug and walks me back to the dressing room basically says you know i'm so proud of you that was awesome and and i just felt like a little like a kid like a nine-year-old kid who's who just won a little league baseball game and his dad's hugging him you know i just he was a he was a mentor and and i respected him and he for him to to uh I guess, you know, celebrate my success was, was, it meant a lot to me because some guy, you know, in pro, one of the disappointments was there's a lot of guys that are kind of, they don't want you to succeed. They're competitive. They're, right. It's it's not like junior or college where it's all for one and one for all. It's a little more cutthroat. So for him to, to celebrate my success like that, and I respected him and it was just one of the highlights of my career. So I, I always remember him for that. Yeah, it's, I'm glad you told the story. It's better. Uh, it's better hearing it uh, first person uh, recollection rather than me reading what you wrote. So uh, you know, yeah, absolutely. I'm glad you. I'm glad you did that. And it's uh, it's always better hearing it hearing it firsthand. Um, yeah. Another player you played with was Kevin McDonald. What do you remember about playing with him? Well, he's my roommate. So oh, okay. I, I would not. He was my. We. I lived with him. So okay. we lived. In, we had a two bedroom apartment, uh, palm trees, pool. Uh, two bedroom, two bath for like 600 bucks. So 300 bucks a month. It wow. was just a deal going. And he, he was, uh, he was a mentor. He was older than me. He'd been around. He's a great guy. And he was, became instrumental because he told me always try to do some kind of job, some kind of internship in the summers. And that's what I tried to do. So I, I would, he would always usually work for the hockey team doing some kind of marketing in the summers. And I always tried to do that. And that's what ended up giving me the ability to transition into to oil and gas and computers, which is which is what I do now, and I owe that to to Kevin's prodding and an example, and his you know taking the time to teach me things like that about life. So I have extremely fond memories about Kevin. Obviously, you know the three hundred plus penalty minutes. He was tough as nails, mm. played hard. You know he he just made life miserable for the other team, and and uh, and I you know kind of modeled some of that. Uh, another guy I want to ask you about uh, was John Van Kessel. Yeah, John, uh, he was a good friend of mine, uh, very nice, nice guy. There's a lot of depth to John. Um, yeah, he was a deep thinker. I felt like um, very genuine, uh, not just typical dumb hockey player and laugh about stupid stuff. You could tell he he was he had something else on. I I. He was so tough, mm-hmm. such a good fighter, so big, I don't know, 6'4", 220, just muscle and could fight. But I just always felt like he wasn't quite 
into it. Mm-hmm. He just he didn't have that that meanness that they were looking for. And if I think if he would have had a little bit more of that and wanted to, who, who knows what happened to him? But I just felt right. like he could have been that guy, the top guy in any NHL team. But he just, I don't, I don't think he, I don't know. You kind of say he didn't want it bad enough. I don't really like that. But right. um, maybe he had more things going on in his life. That's that's all I think. Uh, so you had 10 goals that year, your first year pro. Do you remember the first one? No, I don't. But I, I just remember at that, at it, I, I was in good shape. I was flying. I was, I was gambling a little bit. We had kind of a freewheeling team. We had Mickey Vulcan, uh, Stefan Richet. We were allowed to go, you know, Ralphie. I don't know that he told us to, but he didn't hold us back. So I was, you know, I just come off that big 86 point season in junior. Um, so I was going and, uh, and I, I had a good shot. I, I it's kind of funny that that's uh, a whole nother story, but as my as my career went on, my shot got worse and worse and worse. I think I had a harder shot when I was sixteen or fifteen years old than I did at the end of my career. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe you were thinking about it too much. Uh, yeah, there's I don't want to. Part of it was sticks. Part of it was technique. Part okay. of it was uh, you know you know, maybe there is something about youth and mm-hmm. just that explosive power. Yeah. And uh, but I, I could fire the puck when I was that age. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's not too much video out there of your, uh, your time with Phoenix. So we, you talked about the Martinson Martinson fight. You talked about the fight with twist, uh, any other bouts that you had, uh, as a rookie that stand out because I wasn't able to locate too many. Oh yeah. I mean, uh, it, the main, the, the most dramatic ones were against San Diego. I think we just, I owned them. Mm. <laughs> they had a tough team, but there was a few, I got, I guess I got lucky a few times, but I remember, one where uh, and it, it's on video somewhere where uh, Darcy Norton, I'm kind of pinching up. I'm, I don't know why I was so close to the net, but Darcy Norton, two hands are Swede, Kiosti Karyalainen in the, in the back of the legs and, and Kiosti goes down. And so I see this and Darcy Norton's not a fighter. Mm-hmm. So I go and I cross check Darcy Norton right in the ribs and he goes flying into the boards and he's laying there and I go, okay, here goes. Someone's coming after me. So I, I threw my glove. I, I turned around and sure enough, Dave Coral is coming after me and I don't know what Dave was thinking. Uh, and I feel kind of bad about it, but he was almost like he was going to grab me, but I just smoked him in the face and broke his orbital. Oh, wow. Okay. And so they read, then the, finally the, the refs got in and got me out of there, which is a good thing. Cause, uh, that, uh, um, who's that really tough guy from Buffalo? Um, that big guy, he was next in line to come and get me. <laughs> wow. uh, well, anyway, yeah. So there, there you go. They they pan the video pans off the to me going getting ushered to the penalty box, and then it pans back to the carnage. And there's three guys laying on the ice, and there's two trainers out there. Yosti's <laughs> <laughs> laying on the ice. Darcy Norton's laying on the ice, and Dave Coral's laying on the ice. <laughs> it was like so, a battlefield. Yeah, and then there was some other guy I, I knocked knocked down with a bunch of punches. So it was we did I did really good against San Diego, and um, I think I, you know, probably had a couple good ones against, or at least one good one against uh, Shana, Sean Antosky. Oh, I did um, see I did see one fight versus Antosky. Yes, mm-hmm. I think he yeah. tried to fight more than once, though. I think once they separated, you guys. 
Yeah, I think we had a couple misfires, and then uh, and then we did end up having one really good one where I, I, I was doing so good that he didn't want to do it anymore, and he ended up. What a lot of guys will do is pick me up and kind of throw me down, right? So, yeah, you know, you're. Do- I know I was doing good when they didn't want to punch anymore. Yeah. Plus, he's big enough to pick up most people and put them down if uh, if he really wants to, anyway. Yeah. So it's a good feeling when. Uh, you know, you're not going to get hit by a guy like that anymore. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so going into the following season, now this is your third camp with LA. And I always ask this um, with, with guys at a certain point, you know, and it's usually never the first one because first one you're going back to junior and even the second one, but in the third training camp, are things different because now, and especially in your case, because you had one year pro already playing the year in Phoenix, um, was this camp any different? Like, did, did you feel like maybe you had a chance to make the Kings? Uh, so I had a hip problem and, okay. I knew it and I didn't know what was going on. And, um, the LA Kings doctors were absolutely useless. So, uh, what it would, they had this other guy, Joe Horgan, he's a soft tissue specialist that a bunch of the players would go to and the Kings didn't like it, but he was so good that guys would break the rules, I guess, or go to this guy. So one, I think Jimmy Thompson probably told me to go to this guy and this guy, well, first of all, he fixed my neck. I had, wouldn't, I couldn't shoulder check a guy for about three years because of a car accident and he fixed my neck in like 15 minutes or 30 minutes. It was wow. amazing. Wow. Uh, just, it was so knotted up and he just had me almost screaming in pain with deep tissue massage. And it, it was just like a miracle. It just released everything. I could finally look over my shoulder to see if someone was coming to hit me from behind, you know? Wow. That's, <laughs> and, uh, that's great. But I told him about my hip and he said, well, you've got nerve damage. And he says, I don't know why, but, and so they end up giving me these Medrol dose packs. I'd play, I'd play, uh, we'd play Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I'd feel great Friday, halfway through Saturday's game. I was really in pain. And by Sunday, I couldn't even walk. And this kind of kept going on until finally they just shut me down. I think they thought I was faking it. I heard some rumor, but that was, that was the end of uh, my time in LA. And I didn't, I still didn't know how to fix my hip because uh, time wasn't healing it. These dose packs would make me feel good for a little while and then it would come back. But uh, uh, I have, I don't, I guess we skipped up. We, we were, had a huge rivalry with Salt Lake. In, oh, uh, I was just, I, that was my next question, the Salt Lake uh, stuff. So uh, yeah, I was just going to lead into that, the rivalry with Salt Lake and, uh, you know, there was, uh, I think you fought Cruiser in the, in the pros. Uh, there was also a, uh, a, you have a story about Kerry Clark. So you just, uh, you just jumped ahead a smidge, but it's almost like you're, uh, you have a, your eye on my laptop here because the Salt Lake questions were coming right up. Oh yeah. <laughs> but the reason I was mentioning that is because you asked about training camp and, mm-hmm. um, this is kind of a lesson, I guess, that I learned and, and one for young guys, um, we're, we're brawling with Salt Lake, right? We got to play him 16 or 20 times, something ridiculous. And you know, Zemlak and Banks and Cruz and Kerry Clark and Rick Samard and all these nutcases like Kevin Grant and Saffron on defense. Yep. And even their good players were hatchet men, like Fritz Turnamaz. Yep. Mm-hmm. We were, these guys would just carve you up. So it's vicious. And, and we're just John Kessel and Mac and Hazy and me. We're, I remember sitting in, and Tim Waters, who was in a long time NHL defenseman, mm-hmm. he's 
he comes into the penalty box. I'm sitting in the penalty box, me and I think Kess. And he, he says, and we had just, you know, been fighting these guys. And he says, I don't understand. If you guys would have done that, he says to both of us, he says, if you guys would have done this in training camp, you'd, you'd be up right now. You never would have got sent down. Hmm. And I just remember I had such a pit in my stomach going, oh, <laughs> I missed yeah. my ch- You know, why didn't I? Why didn't I do that in training camp? You know, I did fight Jay Miller, and I don't remember which camp that was, but, mm-hmm. you know, it was too much Mr. Nice Guy, and that's not what they wanted. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And I can, I, I, so I, I try, I'll, we'll get to it, but I, I kind of rectified that when I went to went to Bruins camp. Yeah, so before we get to Bruins camp, tell me about uh, fighting Kerry Clark and uh, Paul Cruz. I, I don't remember the fights with, with Paul, but I can uh-huh. tell you we had a we had a line brawl, and Martin Samard is laying, this is in Salt Lake, mm-hmm. and uh, Martin Samard is laying on top of me, which I told you I don't like to begin with. Right. And all of, a sudden, all of a sudden, I got smoked right between the eyes. And uh, find out later, it was Kerry Clark who had been free mm-hmm. and saw my face and came and just drilled me right between the eyes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I didn't get kicked out, but... We were down to like three, I think we were down to three or four defensemen. I think it was actually three by the end. And I couldn't see the puck. I saw three, actually, that's not true. I saw three pucks. I had one and I would just go back (laughs) and uh, I would turn around and I'd shoot, I'd shoot the puck off the glass. Mm -hmm. I'd shoot at the middle puck because I saw three, right? And I was able to get it if I shot, you know, know, I'm playing this whole game and I can't, my vision is destroyed from, uh, Kerry Clark punching me between the eyes and, and messing my vision up. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we're, that's, that's, uh, you know, we ended up winning as soon as I got on the airplane to go back to Phoenix. All of a sudden it was like someone stabbed me in the back of the neck. I had such a wicked headache. Uh, you know, it was obviously some kind of concussion, but, um, thanks. Thanks, Kerry. <laughs> <laughs> so th- that year you only played the 13 games. Is that because of the hip injury? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That was, that was all that the hip. And that concludes part one of my chat with Steve Jakes. I hope that you people enjoyed it. And if you did enjoy it, please consider subscribing to the show. Also, if you have a second, if you could like, rate, and review the show. It gives the show greater visibility, and it allows the show to grow. And um, if you people enjoyed it, maybe other people will enjoy it as well. So until next week, everybody out there, please stay safe. Thank you.